בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוך השם. Glad to be here again, Aventura, doing another shiur with you guys. We are uh, today, ברוך השם, up to Musar Pirkei Avot 114. Uh, this is the uh, second part of the same Mishnah that we started last week. Last week we started the uh, Mishnah in Avot. Hey, Tet Zayin. Hey, Tet Zayin is uh, 516, which uh, talks about um, talks about staka, talks about the uh, people's treatment of money, their attitude towards money. We, uh, I mean, this is one of those Mishnayot, I mean, no different than really anything else, but uh, this is one of those Mishnayot that it all depends on how deep you want to go into it. Technically, you could spend the rest of your life, not the rest of the day, not the rest of the week, and not even the rest of the year. The rest of your life just studying this Mishnah. Because the attitude that we have towards money has many, many branches and many, many roots of where it connects and how it connects in our tshuva, in our mitzvot, in our ma'asim. Good deeds or bad deeds are always connected to, uh, to money. Uh, our attitude towards the people around us are, is, is usually connected to money. If somebody is rich... Typically, most people will try to treat them fairly. We'll try to treat them good. Uh, and that's because we're superficial and shallow and, uh, and quite frankly, don't have da'at Torah. So we judge people based on their money. You know, we see somebody as rich, automatically, oh yeah, you got to respect them. Now, technically, the Torah says, uh, the Ramban writes also, in Igeret Ramban, uh, Ramban with the N, uh, Nachmanites, uh, that if somebody has wealth, you're supposed to respect them. But he wasn't referring to the extent of what some people take it where they kiss up. Kissing up is never allowed, even more so if the person is rasha. If the person is rasha, the Gemara says that a person that kisses up to uh, such a person is making a sin from the Torah. Not to kiss up to the shine, regardless of whether they have money or not. So Bezad Hashem, this year will also be for Refuah Shlema, for Levana Bat Sarah, Sarah Bat Levana, Doris Bat Jora, David Ben Nisriya, Chaim Ben Sarah, Ayla Bat Sarah, Dvora Bat Mercedes, Elisheva, Chaya Batsara, and Bezad Hashem, all of Am Yisrael will have Refuah Shlema, Refuah Nefesh, Refuah Taguf. Now, uh, the Mishnah here is extraordinary, very, very interesting. There's a lot of sources, a lot of interesting things uh, that we can go into. But of course, we always have to connect things to our day-to-day life. This is one of the special Siyatid Dishmayot that Hashem Barach has had chesed enough to do to give us to be able to each week be able to see how, regardless of what the shiur is about, it could be about the Mishnah Avod, Parashat Shavua, uh, questions about God, uh, some random shiur. Always we see how Baruch Hashem, Hashem connects it to our life personally, Hashem connects it to the world at large. Hashem does so many chasadim for us, it's mamash, it's a katonti mikola chasadim, umikola emet. It's too much already. It's unbelievable, meaning that Hashem is making it as clear as day 
what is right and what is wrong. Now even though we all know what's right and wrong. But tochtocha, you know what's right and wrong. It'll be inside you, you know what's wrong. And it doesn't, have, doesn't mean because you're Jewish, even if you're not Jewish. Everyone knows the difference between right and wrong. Unless they're balmum. Unless, you know, they, they, they have some type of a uh, uh, mental deficiency of some kind. They're sick. We're not talking about them. Which, by the way, you should know, the Mekubalim say that the people that have the Baalei Mum, uh, whether it's autism or it's a, uh, any type of uh, retardation or things of that nature, are very high-level Neshamot. Very high-level Neshamot and have a very small Tikkun left in this world. And uh, they were brought to the world in a certain level of incapacity so they don't ruin what they already b- built. So in essence, they just come here to do something specific, whatever that may be. Usually they don't live very long. And, uh, they, but they're uh, very special people that uh, have a small amount, usually tzaddikim, small amount of work left in this world. And that's why the people that are mumchim, that are experts in the field of autism, and uh, I've actually found that in recent generations they found a way to communicate with them. Uh, and I'm talking about not the ones that are uh, uh, autistic, but at the same time, uh, you know, uh, are able to function in the world. I actually have a few students that are autistic, that are very functional, very normal people, that quite frankly, I didn't know they were autistic until they told me. Uh, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are different. And... Um, there is a way that you can communicate with them through computers, and in, in some of the cases, they recorded these conversations. Very interesting what they say about how much they know about Olama Emet, the real world, what happens after you die, uh, the, uh, the, the need for everyone actually to do tshuva. There's a very famous one uh, that actually was uh, documented uh, saying that he's actually a tzaddik that only had a small uh, avira to, uh, to, to fix. Saying Lashonara, and uh, he came for a tikkun. Now, he didn't make Lashonara his whole life. One Avera he had. One time he sinned, he did Lashonara, so he had to come back, tikkun. And they said, Aren't you suffering? He goes, No, I'm great. I feel bad for you guys. You have a lot more work than me. You have a lot more tshuva to do. I mean, I only have one more. I'm a tzaddik, he says. I saw this. It's unbelievable. So, anyway. The average person knows the difference between right and wrong, but also has yetzerah. Now, it all depends on how much you let the yetzerah run your life. The Gemara in Masichet Shabbat says that when a person gets angry and he acts on it, he acts out on the anger, you should judge him as a oved avodah You should judge him as an idol worshiper. Why judge him as an idol worshiper? He says because if he's already acting out his anger and he's breaking things and he's yelling and screaming and cursing and he's acting like an animal, then that means he's listening to all of the instructions of the Yetzirah. So the way of the Yetzirah, the Gemara says, Moshechet Shabbat, says today he tells him this, tomorrow he tells him this, the next day he tells him this, every day he takes him a different way and he listens. And eventually he's going to say, come, new worship Yeshu. Worship Worship a rabbi. Worship a person. Worship a rat. Worship a cow. Worship something that's not God. And since you got used to 
listen to Yetzirah, Hashem Yachem, you're going to worship Him. Such is the danger of not fixing our midot and thinking, like I thought most of my life, oh, well, I'm just an angry guy. No, so it happens. Like it's a, uh, it's acceptable. It's not acceptable under any condition. There are certain leniencies when a person starts doing tshuva. The Gemara in Masechet Chayiga says, a person starts doing tshuva, he actually becomes more fiery. So if he gets angry, don't judge him too harshly because he's getting fire. He doesn't know how to control it yet. He doesn't know how to control it yet. But if a person is Tamit Chacham, he's already learning for years and he's already doing for years and he's still acting like an animal, then the Gemara says, Tamit Chacham with bad midot, nevela sucha tova mimeno. A dead animal in the middle of the street is better than him. What is he like? What is the Tamit Chacham like? The Gemara says, he's like the ring you put around the nose of a pig. A gold ring you put on the nose of a pig. Why? His Torah is gold. But he's still a pig. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's gonna, if he doesn't do tshuva, he's still a pig. With the nose ring being gold and diamonds and everything, he's still a pig. That's not Talmud Chacham. So that's why Rabotai, Karim, working on our midot, Zekola Adam. That's what the Chachamim says. The Gaomi Vilna says, Zekola Adam, that's all of you. If you live the whole life without fixing a midot, what'd you come for? That's what the Golmi Vina says. What'd you come to the world for? What's your, you didn't do anything. You didn't fix anything. You're still the same angry, cheap, you know, uh, balgava, jealous, still have all these bad midot. You didn't fix anything. What's the point of you? So, primarily, one of the things that we see that the Yetzirah infiltrates our minds with to justify our behavior, justify our bad midot, justify our actions against Hashem is a result of our attitudes towards money. Our attitudes towards money is one of the primary tools that the Satan, the Malach HaMavet, the Yetzirah, all the same, uses to influence our perception of the world and justify our bad behavior. So for example, when a person kisses up to a certain person that has a lot of money and ignores what the Gemara says that you're not allowed to kiss up to people that have bad midot that are wicked. You're not allowed to kiss up to them even if they have money. He says, yeah, but he's rich. Oh, so you learn the part that you're supposed to actually you know, pay respects to people that are rich. You learn that part from the Torah. But how come you didn't learn the other part? That you're not allowed to kiss up to somebody that's wicked. How come you didn't learn that part? How come you only learn the part that's convenient to you? Oh, because he's going to give you a job. Oh, because he's going to give you a loan. Oh, because he's going to donate to your Bet Knesset. Oh, he's going to donate to your Irgun. He's going to donate to your organization a million dollars. So you could, uh, you could kiss up to them. And uh, even though you know he drives on Shabbat, even though you know the guy is uh, cheating on his wife or beats his wife, you're still going to, it's okay. So you didn't learn that part of the Gemara. You only learned the part that's convenient for you. So this is a person that's a naval birshut the Torah. This is a person that's despicable with permission from the Torah. Why? He uses only the part that's convenient to him. And the reason for that is because his attitude towards money is no less than idol worship. He loves money so much 
he's willing to replace his God for it. And I specifically say his God because his God is replaceable. Our God is not replaceable. Anyone that believes in the God of Israel knows that God is not replaceable. So when a person starts worshipping money to such an extent that he uh, he forgets what's right and wrong, is a person that's miskin, is a person that's a very, very lowly level. Lowly level. Because he doesn't realize that he's spiritually sick. To be sick is okay. We're all sick to some extent. We have a bad midah. We have certain uh, aspects of us that need to be need a cure. To be sick is okay. It's actually expected. That's why you're still in this world. To deny it is the problem. To deny that you're sick is the problem. So, in today's world, unfortunately, the one of the things that I see that's very, very dangerous that's happening as a result of our attitudes towards money is how people are treating Christianity and even the presidency right now. You know, people look at the Christians today and they say, oh, look, they're investing so much money in Israel. Look, they're, they're investing so much money in, in, in Jews. Look, they say they love us. Look, they're really nice. Look this and look that. And they forget about the fact that Yaakov Avinu already told us 4,000 years ago, Hashem, save me from the hand of my brother, save me from the hand of Esav. Now his brother and Esav are the same person, so what is he saying here? He says, when he's Esav, I'm not so scared. Why? Why I'm not so scared? Because I know he's trying to kill me, only my body though. When he's Achi, that's when he's dangerous. Why? He's pretending to be my brother. He's pretending to love me. He's pretending to invest in me. In reality, at the end, what is he trying to do? He's trying to convert me to Christianity. He's trying to convert me to become reform. He's trying to convert me to go against Hashem with a smile on. He's much more dangerous. So that's why it says, Save me from my brother, save me from Esav. The brother part comes before Esav. Why? He's more dangerous. He's much more dangerous. So in today's world, Hashem Yerachem, Rabotai Yekarim, we're seeing that the Christian world for the first time in history is pretending to be our brothers. For 2,000 years, they were very busy killing us. And uh, as much as this is hard to hear, it was actually better off. We were better off being killed by the Christians than what they're doing today. Because at least during the Holocaust, the pogroms, the Inquisitions, the Bet HaMikdash, the first and the second one, and so on, they were killing bodies. And the person, if the person was tzaddik, he goes to Olam Abba. Today, when they're converting Jews every day, they're killing neshamot. And you're seeing that for the first time in history, they're doing it, pretending to be Jews. So they call themselves Jews for Jesus. They call themselves One for Israel. They call themselves uh, Messianic Jews. Call themselves all types of names that fool the average person who is not into counter-missionary and, and that whole part of the world, whether religious or not is irrelevant, just simply understanding 
that Esav is very much alive and well. So when they come to you with a kippon, or a nice little kippon with a t-shirt, and uh, they come to you and they say, oh, have you uh, read uh, Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant? Have you read uh, Prophet Daniel chapter 9? And learn about the prophecy of the coming Mashiach and so on. You as an average Jew in Yerushalayim, you as an average Jew in Tel Aviv, you as an average Jew in New York, California, Florida, anywhere, like, you know what, to be honest with you, no. Why? Even if you went to yeshiva, even if you went to yeshiva your whole life, yeshiva generally don't teach prophets. We focus on the chumash, de'ikal, and then after that we move on to gemara. We move on to shulchan aruch. And through the Gemara and the, uh, and the Shulchan Aruch and other things, we learn how the source for this is from the, this Navi, that Navi. There's different, uh, different sources that we use. But we don't spend years and years learning the prophets like the, like the, uh, like the Goim do. Number one, it's because we don't learn Allah from there. And number two, there's just so much time. So when a person is first introduced to these chapters and did not read the first 52 chapters of the prophet Isaiah. And the first time he ever got introduced to Isaiah is chapter 53. The first, the missionary that's talking to him that says he's a Jew himself and could very well be a Lachakli Jewish because his mom is Jewish can manipulate the conversation to such an extent that makes him think that, oh, we're talking about J.C. Penny over here. We're talking about Jesus. Now, this has been a problem for years. Now, as I've told you guys in recent months, it's taking a higher level. Higher level, where now, they're doing it out in the open. At least in the old days, they were killing bodies. Then, after that, they fast forward 2,000 years, they just did this conversion stuff behind the scenes. They would usually go to the Deburim and Ame Aratzot. They would go to the ignorant people. They would go to the Reformed Jews. They would go to the conservative. They would go to the chilonim that don't know right, don't know left, don't know Torah yet, they haven't done tshuva yet. And they show them something and it makes sense. Why does it make sense? Why does it make sense? Because their religion doesn't require any mitzvot. So in essence, what does it do? It enables the conservative, the reformed, the heretic, the chiloni, the, all of those, to continue living their life the same way, nothing changed. They can still wear the t-shirt, they can still walk around half naked with a mini skirt. They can still be married to a non-Jew. They can still do whatever they want. They can still drive on Shabbat, eat taref. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. So it's convenient. It's convenient truth. And now, unfortunately, what does it have to do with anything? Is that because of the Yetzirah is giving a last shot at the end of days, to go all out on Am Yisrael, all of these people that are missionaries, that are idol-worshipping missionaries, whether they call themselves Messianic Jews or Christians or Evangelical is irrelevant. It's all the same thing. Anyone that believes in the New Testament is an idol-worshipper. That's it. There's no, it doesn't make no difference what token name they have to themselves. Why? Because the New Testament itself has several different types of idolatry. So if you believe in the New Testament, it doesn't make a difference how you describe yourself. If you're evangelical, or you're Lutheran, 
or you're Catholic and Christian and Messianic, it doesn't make a difference. You believe in a book that says that God is three. You believe in a book that says that God had sex with a woman, Hashem Yachem. You believe in, in such stupidity. You're an idol worshiper. That's it. And stupid too, but aside from that, aside from stupid, it's uh, the reality is this is what it is. And the problem is that Hashem gave them a lot of money. Why? Because Satan has to have a lot of money in order to do what he needs to do. So now, Rabotai, these organizations literally have a bank account that doesn't end. And that's what you're seeing, one, from Is- one for Israel, and the guy uh, Yitzchak Shapiro, Yimachimo, and uh, all of these missionaries, many of them are actually Jewish. There's also the lawyer for uh, Trump, Sokolo, Sokolo, something like that. He's unfortunately a Messianic Jew. Born to Jewish parents, they were reform. And then uh, Jews for Jesus came to him when he was still young and uh, convinced them that uh, they're the truth. And he says, you know what, it sounded more true. He says it in an interview, it sounded more true. Why? Because when somebody sneezed in the reform shul and the rabbi, I don't know whether it was a male or female rabbi, but when the rabbi said, oh, God bless you. Oh, wait a minute, I don't believe in God. I said, this reform Judaism, it can't be true. So when the guy had said Jews for Jesus, he told me that there is a God and it's this guy, ah, it made more sense to me. It made more sense to me. I don't blame him, unfortunately. He's a victim of reform Judaism. He's a victim of this heresy. But he grew up and he became very successful and he became the main attorney representing Jews for Jesus. And then he got up to the ladder in corporate America. And even though he declared bankruptcy in the 1980s with $13 million in debt and $680,000 in assets, he got out of that. And the Satan ended up giving him a lot of money, tons and tons of money to do the Satan's will and go up the corporate ladder to become a multimillionaire representing the Satan and his servants. And now he's promoting one for Israel and he's also promoting this current administration, the Trump administration, in the name of Israel. According to most people, he's a Jew. Oh, this is good. Didn't you hear that the, the lawyer for Trump is Jewish? Yeah, I heard he's Jewish. The problem is he's, he's a bigger enemy than, than the Arab with the knife. Why? The Arab with the knife is trying to kill the body. This so-called Jewish lawyer is trying to kill the Neshamot. And that's why there's videos of him saying his main mission. What? Get all of Ami Sad to convert to Christianity. How did he get this position? Money. And other people's, his attitude of money, and also other people's attitude of money. And this Rabotai is continuing this infestation, this plague is continuing. And we see that Christianity is using money against us. And unfortunately, they have no end of it. And anytime they want to do a campaign, they don't have a campaign raising a million dollars in 24 hours or 250,000 in 20 years. No. It's just money just comes in 24 hours a day. Millions and millions of dollars come in every day. Why? Because their number one job is to be evangelical. Evangelical, by definition, means you have to go recruit Jews. Recruit Jews away from Hashem, away from the Torah, and make them Christians. And this is a bushar abotai. This is an embarrassment for us. And the reason why is because Jews, Baruch Hashem, 
have never been so rich monetarily as they are today with the exception of the generation of Shlomo HaMelech, when there was gold in the streets. Other than that, we've never been so rich. But yet, when you ask people to donate, to actually make Jews more Jewish, nobody has any money. When you ask people to donate, to make Jews go do tshuva, everybody's broke. Everybody's in between jobs. Everybody's checked it in clear yet. There's one guy who tells me, hey, listen, I want to donate. Where should I donate? I said, the website. Same place you watch the shiurim, donate. Okay, okay. Two, three weeks pass. I don't really remember these things. So, where do I donate? I said, oh, just look at the previous message on you know the WhatsApp. He asked me. I said, the website. Go to the website. It's the first time. If you can understand my shurim, you can understand the message too. What's the problem? Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to donate. New two weeks pass. You never donate. Not two weeks pass. Where do I donate? So I just sent him the link. I sent him the link. He donated here. Oh, okay, I'm just waiting for a check to clear. I'm waiting for the check to clear. Check. I don't know. Apparently, his, his, his bank account went all the way to zero. But yet, he had the thought in his mind to ask me what to donate. I don't know. If my bank account went to zero, I'm not going to ask somebody where to donate. Instead, I'm going to ask somebody, can I have a loan? My bank account is at zero. I need to eat. My kids are going to go hungry. My bank account is at zero. I'm not thinking about donating. I'm thinking about surviving. I'm thinking if I'm going to have to eat my next door neighbor because I have no money in my bank account. I'm thinking maybe I need to go beat somebody up in the middle of the street to go feed little Ovadia and, and Sarah because I have no money in my bank. I'm not thinking about to send a text message on a phone that costs 200 bucks a month. Where could I donate if, if I don't have any money? So whatever. So this is all show though. This is all a show. This is part of the show. This is also part of my kapat amanot. All the sins that I made in my life. Hashem, oh Hashem gives them to me. Cheshbon. Midah kenege midah. So anyway, Rabotai, he, has, he said the check is clear. It's been, I don't know, maybe three, four months. I don't usually count, but this specific issue has been annoying enough for me to remember. It's been three, four months. The check hasn't cleared yet. I don't know. I think the check is for Mars. The check is for Mars. So the thing is, the why? Why, is, why do such things happen? Why? Why do such things happen? Because, Rabotai, the Yetzirah in each one of you wants to donate. And wants to donate to the right cause. But when you have no schuyot, when you have no merits, because you haven't really done tshuva yet, you haven't even tried to do tshuva yet, the Yetzirah is going to go, the Midat Adin is going to go, Hashem, absolutely not. Let him donate to the Red Cross. No problem. Let him donate to saving the panda. Let him donate to funding the, the, the organization within the U.S. government that researches what do horses feel like when you throw them out of a plane? There's a budget of $15 million a year for what do horses feel when you throw them out of a plane and they skydive. There's a budget, $15 million. I'm not sure. I don't make things up. There's actually a real There's an organization that does research to see. Nothing is made up. Everything is true. You can check this out after the shoe if you want. There's an organization, $15 million budget. What do horses feel when they are skydiving? Let them donate to that. But to go make a Jew more Jewish, chas v'shalom Hashem. Cannot. Why? He has no merits. He's worshipping the money. He still hasn't fixed his midot. He cheats on his wife. He cheats on his customers. He cheats on you, Hashem. He has no, he has no merit. Why? Because you wrote in your own Torah, you said to the prophet Jeremiah, you said to the prophet Jeremiah, what would you say? In tavia kal mizolel kepitiye. 
if you make somebody do tshuva, you make him precious, when he used to be Hashem what he was, you're going to be like my mouth. What does it mean you're going to be like my mouth? Everything you say, Hashem has to fulfill. Why? You're special. You return one of my children back home. So sometimes, as frustrating as it is, when you see that people are not able to donate, they're not able to donate, and it's not because of money. It's because they have no merits. So you feel bad for them. You feel bad for them. It's hard to feel bad for them because it's annoying. But you have to feel bad for them. Why? Because Hashem Yechem, imagine being at such a lowly level, you don't have merit to even give $20, to give $200, to give $2 million, whatever you have, everybody relative to everybody. Or sometimes the guy makes 100000 a month and he donates 50 bucks. Okay, so he has a merit. He has a merit. He got, you know, he got the 50 bucks in, but he's skinned. You have to feel bad for him. So this Rabotai all has to do with our attitude towards money, which we'll go into. But that's also the reason why Christianity and all of the fake causes within Judaism get an enormous amount of money. You see different organizations that have never made a single Baal Tshuva. Never made a single person make a mitzvah. If they made a mitzvah, it was by accident. You see them raising money like it's a like it's sand. We're raising $100,000 in the next three hours for a new shul, even though there's 87 shuls on the same block. Within two minutes, they got the 100000 Oh, we're going to have a bonus round. What? As much as we can get. The guy tried to raise 100000 he raised five hundred. For what? Who knows? Maybe a new kitchen for himself, a new car, a new this. We're raising a million and a half dollars to, uh, I don't know, help some kids uh, go uh, hang out with us, eat pizza all day, and pretend like they're learning Torah. Boom, 24 hours, a million and a half dollars. For what? For eating pizza? Buy the pizzeria already. No, it's a Torah program. It makes them more religious. What makes them more religious? Your own video, you see these people, they're not religious at all. But they get the money. Why? Because each one of the people wants to give staka. The Yetzirah Tov says, give staka. But Yetzirah says, yes, you're allowed to give staka. It's not the right cause. Give it to the center that uh, makes people make more sins. Makes people worship rabbis. Makes people worship uh, J.C. Penny. Makes people worship more money. Makes shurim about money. All day people talk about, oh, listen, if you do this gula, you'll make more money. If you do this gula, you'll make more money. If you do this gula, you'll make more money. All day they talk about money. What about if you do this gula, you become tzaddik? What about if you do this gula, you learn about Yirat Shamayim? What about if you do this gula, you actually become a righteous person that's not really going to care about money? How about that? Anyone that understands the test of money knows that honestly, you shouldn't want money. Why? It's a very big test. It's a much more difficult test to have a lot of money than not have money. Much more difficult test. Because the Yetzirah will use all that money against you. They'll use it to give you more tests. The things that you can do with money are much more dangerous than the things that you can't do with money. And that's also the reason why you see most of the religious people in every, in every congregation, in every religion even, in every religion, but in every religion, most of the religious people are poor. The less material you have, the easier it is to connect to Hashem Barach. Now, we don't necessarily need to be 
the uh, the Baal Shem Tov or the uh, Chafetz Chaim that pray for uh, poverty. But if you're going to pray for money, make it the last prayer. Before when first prayer should be to get closer to Hashem. First prayer should be to get to do what Hashem wants, to make Him happy, to fulfill your tshuva, to do something meaningful in life, to make your wife happy, your husband happy, your children happy, to become Talmit Chacham, to learn something in this life other than your job, other than do all the things that you do. Do Pray for something meaningful, Ibn You pray all day. All day people pray. Rarely do you ever hear them pray for something meaningful. Everybody pray. You have a thousand people praying. Money, 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 Abu Dazra. Money, money, Abu Dazra. Money, money. Pray for something meaningful. When was the last time you prayed to be a Tamit Chacham? When was the last time you prayed to actually have Mamash Yirat Shamayim? Mamash Yirat Shamayim. To really believe that Hashem is here now. When was the last time? Did you ever pray for that? I'm telling to myself. This is also because our ta'ava for money, our desire for money is out of control. Out of control. And it's ruining us. So Mishnah in Avot started saying, There are four types of donors to charity. And the sages explain, Rav explains, that this is a Mishnah that's referring to four different types of attitudes towards money, towards giving money. Attitude towards taking money, we don't need a Mishnah about that, because everyone likes to take money. Attitude about giving money, that's going to see, that's going to show who you really are. How do you treat money? Why? Because if you love it, by default, you're not going to want to give it. If you love money, automatically you inherit the midah of kamsanut, of cheapness, stinginess. Why? When you love something, you don't want to give it away. If you love money, you're not going to want to share it with anyone. If you love it, you love your kids, you don't want to you know, have them sleep away in sleepaway camp for six months. You want them to be next to you. You love your wife, you don't want her to show herself to the whole street and how she looks naked all day. You want her to protect herself, you want her to be modest. The guys that want their wives to walk around half naked with the long wigs and everything, that's only because they don't love their wives. They love all the other wives. All the other wives, they're looking, because they figure, but the wife can't tell them anything. The wife can't tell them, oh, why are you looking at her? Why are you looking at the rabbanit that looks like a prostitute? Why are you looking at the prostitute himself that looks like the rabbanit? Why are you looking at all these women? She can't tell them anything. Why can't she? Because she looks like them also. The wig is to the floor, the tank top is on. She has a skirt that's so tight, you think it's another layer of skin, but she, she thinks it's a skirt, so it's a Yotemi Dechoba. She met, she met a, because it's a skirt, that means it's okay. No. If your skirt is so tight that it's mamash, become another layer of skin, it's better you wear pants. If your skirt is so short that as soon as you sit, as soon as you sit, everybody sees your business, it's better you wear pants. Of course, you're not allowed to wear pants. But if that's what it's going to look like, better you wear pants. It's like the Chachamim say, if somebody does tshuva, but he doesn't have a rabbi. Mishnah Avot says, make yourself a rabbi. What if he doesn't want a rabbi? He wants to be his own rabbi. The Chachamim says, it's better he doesn't do tshuva. If he doesn't have a rabbi, it's better he doesn't do tshuva. Why? Before, he was chiloni. He was secular. 
and he was making mistakes. He doesn't know what the purpose of life is. He doesn't know anything. But most of it is because of ignorance, not because he's a hater of Hashem or he's uh, such a bad person. Doesn't does, you know? Doesn't absolve him from the sin. But the point is that it's a certain level of sin. But now that he did so-called tshuva, but he has no direction, he has no rabbi telling him right or wrong, then he's become a walking, living chilul Hashem. He has the hat and the beard on, but he's stealing still, and he's posek uh, la it's against the Torah. He decides what the halacha is, but it's against the Torah. And you see him doing all types of things, like uh, you know, hugging women, and, uh, you know, that are not his wife in public. Like this Goldberg, Goldberg the, 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 from Boca Raton. He has pictures on his profile, on his Facebook profile, of him hugging women, not his wife. Hugging women in public, from the Kila, hugging them. Hey, like pictures, pictures. But don't you know, don't you know, it's Alacha Mephoreshet. It's Alacha in the Torah, in the Shukhan Aruch, that a person is not even allowed to show public affection even to his wife. Even to his wife. He's not allowed to show public affection. This is in Kitsur Shulchan Aruch Yalkut Yosef, Perek 11, Alacha Shmone. So it's a, uh, it specifically says that a person is not allowed to show affection, no kissing, no hand holding, no hugging, to even his own wife in public. Kalvachomer take pictures and put it on the internet, Machtia Rabin. And this is with his own wife. His own wife. If you look at Isure Be'a in the Rambam, chapter 22, I believe, it talks about all the dinim, all of the laws of forbidden sexual relations, but it includes their watching your eyes, it includes their wasting seed, it includes their showing affection to a woman that you're not allowed to, and not talking about sex, actually just holding hands, hugging, kissing, winking, 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 you're not allowed to wink, or flirt with a woman that's not your wife. Not allowed. These are alachod, these are actually laws from Mount Sinai, it's not Yaron Ruven. But when a guy decides that he's his own rabbi, and he's not going to listen to the, he's not going to listen to the Shukhan Aruch, He's not going to listen to the G'dolei Ador. The Chamin say, better off he didn't do tshuva. Why? He's Chilul Hashem now. He's desecrating Hashem's name with a kippon. It's better off he didn't have a kippon, so some people will think he's a goy maybe. Better off he didn't, he didn't look like a Jew, he didn't act like a Jew, he didn't call himself rabbi. Why? Because if he drove on Shabbat and he's a goy, no one's going to say, oh, look at him, he's driving on Shabbat. All the goyim drive on Shabbat. You understand? This is also the reason why Goyim that are in the process of converting to Judaism are not allowed to take the steps of showing it exterior until the last stage completely, until the mamash have a date of when they're going to convert. And even then, they should refrain from wearing their tzitzit outside. They should refrain from wearing a kippah in public. They should refrain from putting a mezuzah. They should refrain from doing those things. They should do the things like laying tefillin and kippah and so on when they're in the process of praying or learning. But to walk around and act and look like a Jew when you haven't become a Jew yet, you're not allowed to do that. Because number one, you're still not allowed to keep Shabbat 100%.
which means that if you're going to drive on Shabbat and someone doesn't know that, you're allowed to drive on Shabbat. You're going. But someone doesn't know that. And he sees a Jew with tzitzit and, and, and talit and a kippah driving on Shabbat. What is he going to say? He's like, oh, look at these fakers. Look at Amisa, the fakers. It's kitrug, it's chilul Hashem. And chilul Hashem, the Gemara says, the only way you could fix it starts with death. So why start your life that way? Why start your conversion that way? So I know you're excited to be a Jew and you want to look like a Jew now and so on. If you want it so bad, then do everything you can to finish it. But you cannot look like a Jew without being a Jew. There's one guy that keeps sending me the same question in different ways. Same exact question for the last six months. I think in ten different ways. Mamash chokhmah, it's mamash genius how he's able to ask the same question in so many different ways. He's a non-Jew that wants to be a Jew, but he can't convert yet for whatever reason. But he wants to, can, he wants to live the life of a Jew. He wants tefillin, tzitzit, and this and that and everything. Keep Shabbat 100%, everything. I said, yeah, but that's not what Hashem said. So, Rabotai, it's important for a person to know that Chilul Hashem is a very, very big sin. It's the biggest sin. You don't want to do that to yourself. You don't want to do it to yourself. If Hashem said no, no. If Hashem said yes, yes. So, the Mishnah continues and says there are four types of donors to charity, meaning there are four types of attitudes towards money. One who wishes to give himself, but wants others not to give. He begrudges others, meaning he has an evil eye on others. We went over this one last week. It's a person that wants to keep the mitzvah to himself. He wants to give himself. He wants to make sure that he's the only one that gives to the rabbi or to the homeless guy, but not for the right reason. Not because he's going to pay for everything. and it, No, for the wrong reason. Why? Number one, he doesn't want others to benefit from the mitzvah. Number two, he wants to keep the guy homeless. Because if I tell everybody about this tzaddik that's homeless, he's not going to be homeless anymore. Almost evil. But he wants the mitzvah to like as if, as if he gave money to the homeless. So we went over it. Anyone that wants to know more details about it, just go over the shiur last week. But the point is that this is a person that is selective with his giving because of an evil trait. Even when he sees a person that comes from a rich family that uh, fell on tough times, he lost all of his money, he doesn't give him. Why doesn't he give him? He says, listen, he comes from a rich family. Let his family give him. Why do I have to give him? Let his family give him. He comes from a rich family. Why does he want the rich family to give him? He says, because if I give him, then the rich family is going to stay rich. But if they give him, then that means their money is going to go down. And money is going to stay the same. Oh, that's good for me. Meaning it has nothing to do with the poor guy that needs help. It all has to do with his own ego, his own self and everything. So such is the confused state of mind that a person can get to when he loves money too much. When he loves money too much, he starts worshipping it. He starts competing everybody with how much money he has and how much money they have. I remember I had one guy... One student was telling me he's going through a really rough time. 
and he wants to move, and he wants to do this, and he's have a tough time, and a tough time, and a tough time, and a tough time, and he can't move, and he can't find, and he can't do this. Okay, fine. I said, I don't understand. You work, your wife works, the kids work, everybody works. How come you don't have any money? I ask people outright, like, I don't understand. How come you don't have any money? But you work. Wait, wait, you have that many expenses? I mean, you don't necessarily look like such a big spender to me. I mean, the car you have is an average car. The house you have is rented. So it's an average house. You're not renting a 20-bedroom house or anything. You don't have a private jet that I don't know about. You don't have any bling-bling on you. You're not, uh, you're not wearing any jewelry with like a five-carat diamond on each ear. Like, where's the money going? You work, she works, everybody works. Oh, Hashem, they're not working for a non-profit organization with no money. You work, you make money. So what's, what's, what's happening? Where's the money going? Thank you, Skinny Mitzvot. Where's the money going? Does anybody have an answer for that? You have people work in the house. Couple works in the house. The kids work. Everybody works, but they don't have any money. Anybody have an answer? Got a hole in his pocket. Possible. Possible. What else? Couple things. Number one, it could be that there's no behind the money. Could be that everybody works. And it doesn't make a difference how much they make. They make 50000 or they make $50 million. There's no Baha'i in the money, meaning that whatever comes in leaves faster than it came in. And I remember it when I was in the business world and we had no Baha'i in the money. It didn't make a difference whether we made 200000 a month or we made a million and a half dollars a month. There was never any money. We always waited for the next month. We couldn't wait for the next month. Why? We need the money. Yeah, but you just made a million dollars. You just made 50000 You made a hundred thousand. You just made more money than everybody else. I don't understand. No, no, we need the money. Why? No money. Where'd it go? I don't know. You have a, you bought a new car? No. You bought a new watch? No, I don't buy watches. I don't buy cars. You have a new plane? No, I don't have planes. Would you have toys? No toys. What'd you do with the money? I don't know. It's gone. Expenses. What expenses? The same as that. Expenses. The lawyers, the accountants, the criminals. Who knows? Who knows what's happening? There's no behind the money. There's no behind the money. When Hashem does not give you blessing in the money, it doesn't make a difference how much you make. It's going to go to a place you don't want it to go. Medical expenses, accounting, law, lawsuits, buy all types of problems. It's gone. But before you even have enough time lead Bonin to even think about it, it's already gone. He wrote you a letter. Oh, remember me? I used to be in your account long, long time ago, two weeks ago. Remember? It was me. Yeah, yeah, how was the money? Yeah, remember? Yeah, I just want to say... It's nice meeting you for two minutes. Where'd the money go? No money. So that could be one thing. No blessing in the money. Happens for several reasons. One of the reasons is if a person is not Shomer Abrit. A person wastes seed, kiss your money goodbye. And then you're going to ask, wait a minute, but how are you going to explain all these celebrities, all of these athletes, all of these people that Shemir uh, Achem, they probably... Uh, Destroy their breed uh, by every second they live. How do you explain them? You explain it with two ways. Number one, you explain it in a sense that if they didn't, if they actually kept their breed, they'll be much richer. Second way you explain it is that notice that all of them at some point will declare bankruptcy and will be in a worse financial shape than they started before they became a celebrity. I wrote an article one, you know, maybe fifteen years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And uh, yeah, maybe ten years ago, 
about showing the statistics of NFL athletes, which I used to deal with a few of them as clients, and um, how they end up declaring bankruptcy and losing literally every penny they have within four years of retirement. Average. Within four years of retirement, a person that made $100 million in his career has zero, negative. Not once, not twice, not three times, but over 86% of them. Over 86% of them will declare bankruptcy within four years of retirement. And it's the same thing goes for all the other sports, for basketball, for football, for baseball, for all of them. All of them, no exceptions. Maybe there's an exception in golf because the career is longer if you're actually any good. But aside from that, the rest of the sports, it's a short-term career. And they declare bankruptcy. So how much money you made means nothing. What are you going to have for the rest of your life? So another, re- another way that you can explain it is that when someone's not a Shomer Brit, the money is going to be gone. It's only a matter of time. Okay, enjoy your Ferrari and your nice car and your nice watch and your nice this and your nice that. It's only temporary. Why? Because when the punishment comes and the Midat din comes, you're going to regret the day you were born. Why? Because a person that used to have money and now doesn't, suffers much, much more than someone who never had money and still doesn't have any money. You understand? Because if you never had any money, then you don't really have the understanding of how much it gives you and so on. And you, don't have the, you never had the luxury of having a lot of money. So you're not suffering really. You would like to have money. You have hopes you maybe you're going to have money one day. But you don't have the suffering of not having money. Nowhere near the same as someone that used to have money and now he doesn't. Why? He's used to eating a uh, 16-ounce steak every day for breakfast. Now he's eating uh, peanut butter and jelly on a, on, a, on, a, on a cracker because he can't afford bread. He used to drive a car, just his car to drive once a week was uh, $250,000. Now he, can't, he works for Uber. He works for Uber driving his uh, Nissan that's uh, $26,000 lease. He has to pay 150 bucks a month and he still has struggling to pay for it. And then, so that's the guy that's suffering. He used to have a $250,000 car. He used to live in a house that Paro was jealous of. Yeah, so many houses, so many big rooms and so on and so forth. Today, he's uh, living in his friend's basement. He's renting a room. That's suffering. That's suffering. So that's another way you can explain a person has a bracha in the money when he wastes seed. Another last way that you could explain, then we'll move on from that, is when a person simply does not know the value of money and simply is living in an imaginary world, thinking that he is competing with the Joneses, and that because he sees that all of the Joneses, all of the rich people, talk big numbers, he just bought a house for a million, and he just bought a uh, stock for half a million, and he just took this company public for 20 million, and he looks at the TV, and he compares himself against the celebrities. He compares himself against the people in the community, the rich and famous. Then his whole life is destroyed. Probably worse than the first two. Why? He's never going to be able to compete. He's never going to be able to compete. Because there's always going to be somebody richer than him. So right now, 
he's competing against the guy that has a million dollar house and he has a little rinky dink uh, hundred thousand dollar house. Now let's say Hashem blesses him and gives him a million dollar house. What does the Gemara say? The Gemara Masechet Sukkah says you give somebody a hundred, he wants two hundred. You give somebody two hundred, he wants four hundred. You give him four hundred, he wants eight hundred. And never a person die with even half of what he wanted. Meaning, now Hashem gave him blessings. So, oh, you want a house? Here. You're going to bring guests to your house. Yeah, I'll give you a million dollar house. What does he want now? Two million dollar house. So now he's eating his heart out because now a million dollar house, you can't uh, build a million dollar house in the projects. They're going to rob you. You can't build a million dollar house in, uh, in the woods. No one's going to know you have a million dollar house. You need to show off. So we're going to build a million dollar house next to a bunch of other people that build a million dollar house. But what happens then? Somebody else builds a two million dollar house. Ha! I got a $2 million house. So now what are you doing? Every day you look at your house, you look at this house, and you look at your house like it's a gulta, like it's a junk car. Ah, this house, ah, this house. Not really my house, ah, this house. Don't worry, I'll show you my house eventually. Okay, so I'm gives you a $2 million house now. Now you can't live in the same neighborhood with a $2 million house. You have to move to a, a better house, a better neighborhood. Upgrade. So now your next door neighbor is what? $5 million house. What's your house now? It's back to being a basement. It's back to being a garage. Eh, yeah, this garage I live in. Yeah, this is a nice house. He has a nice house. And you're always looking and competing with the Joneses, and you're never, ever happy with your share. And this is exactly what happened with the student. He's telling me he can't do this, and he can't do this, and can't do this. So he asked him, where does all the money go? He says, well, I have a little bit of money, but it's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's not enough. I said, what do you have, like enough to pay the bills for this month? You, you need me to lend you a couple? I have a couple hundred dollars I can lend. I don't have that much. I lost a million. Like, I can lend you a couple hundred dollars. Like, I don't know. You don't have any money. You have kids. You have a wife. Feel bad. He goes, no. He goes, no, I have like a hundred thousand in the bank. It's a... Now, wait, hold on a second. Wait, wait. You just say you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank? And you complain to me about money? You have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank? And you complain about money? What's the matter with you? What's wrong with you? No, he's like, listen, it's not enough. You know, I see all these people. They talk, big numbers. I'm like, what difference is it to you what they talk? You have $100,000 in the bank, in this account, in that account, in this account, in that account, and you're complaining about money? You're trying to save 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks a month on, on, on rent, and you're going to stay in a non-Jewish neighborhood? You're trying to save a couple hundred dollars on kosher food because uh, you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. What the, what is the matter with you? I said you should go. I do three shulim a week. You should go to ten shulim a week. Just watch my same shul three times a week. The same shul. Hundred thousand dollars in the bank. Complain about money. Hashem yachem. Yeah, but I donate. And I'm like, I hope you donate a lot more to other people because the fifty bucks a month that you sent. I don't know if it's even a mitzvah if you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. I don't even know if it's a mitzvah if you have $100,000 in the bank. Donating 50 bucks a month. Bemet. So, Rabotai, the perception we have on money is killing us. It's killing us. Why? We're competing with everybody else. See, even when we give, we don't give with a full heart. We give to compete. We only want to donate if everyone's going to know about it. We buy an aliyah on Yom Kippur, on Oshana. Why? Come on, no, I want to, everybody, look, I donated 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. How come you didn't donate it during the rest of the year? 
You know the Bekinesin needed it. How come you didn't donate it in quiet? Why did you have to make a whole show about it? The whole why for what? It's a whole show. It's a whole show. That's because our attitude on money is wrong, and it's killing us. And I don't just mean killing us spiritually, because that's obvious. It's killing us spiritually. I also mean it's killing our success monetarily, physically, in this world. Why? As long as you're busy counting everybody else's money, when do you have time making money? If you're so busy counting his money and his money and his money and her money, his money and his house and our house now, when do you have time to make money? You already go to work. You know, the Benish Chai. You go to work, right? You go to work, you, you work, you're on a construction, move, whatever you do. If you're so busy talking about everybody else's money, when do you have time to work and make money for yourself? Oh, you're waiting to win the lotto. Oh, that's a real success story. It's almost a 100% ratio that all of them declare bankruptcy. Almost a 100%. Look statistically. A lot of winners, almost a 100% of the time, declare bankruptcy and lose everything. And many of them are in a worse financial shape than before they won lotto. Mama, it's a curse. They call it the, the, the curse of winning the lotto. Look it up. So, first person that's so busy counting everybody else's money... That he's putting me death to dean on himself. Not only has bad evil eye on others, but he's causing that evil to come back home. It's like a boomerang. You pray for others' good health, you become healthy. You pray for others to succeed, you succeed. You want other people to succeed, you're going to succeed. You have ein tova, you're going to get tov. You have a good eye, you're going to get good. If evil eye it comes back to you, you curse other people, Hashem curses you. Unless take a shine, then it's a mitzvah. I'm talking about you want him to fail. Why? Because I don't want him to succeed. Why? Because, just because. Oh, okay, so you're not going to succeed too. So this, Rabotai, this Ein Tova, Ein Ra, is very, very critical because if you're already going to spend your life, or at least a good part of it, working, making money, don't shoot yourself in the foot by having such a distorted attitude about it where you're worshipping it, you're skipping Shuret Torah because of it, you think that you're making the money and it's not Hashem giving you the money. You work overtime as if that's going to help. The Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 17a. And also the Gemara in Masechet Beitzah, 17b. I'm sorry, 16a, 16b. 16 in both pages. Says that Hashem decides what your Parnassah is going to be on Rosh Hashanah until Rosh Hashanah. Meaning that regardless of what you do, regardless of what your career is, if you're in construction or you're a stockbroker or you do nothing and learn Torah all day, Hashem already decides what your Parnassah is going to be on Rosh Hashanah. Until Rosh Hashanah. How you're going to get it, whether it's going to be from your job or from an accident or from a lotto or from something else, that Hashem decides based on your ma'asim, based on your actions every day. But how much you're going to get, he already decides on Rosh Hashanah. So working overtime and missing Shiur Torah, it's not going to help your, it's not going to help your Parnassah, it's going to hurt your Parnassah. Cheating the customer just to make that, uh, you know, payroll, it's not going to help your Parnassah, it's going to hurt your Parnassah. Meaning, doing evil in the eyes of Hashem just because you think you're going to make a mitzvah because of it, you're going to steal from this guy, so you give tzedakah to that guy. You want to be the, the modern day Robin Hood. 
the criminal. You want to be the criminal Robin Hood, but you think you're a tzaddik. Just so you know, it's going to hurt your Parnassah. Why? Because your Parnassah was already decided on Rosh Hashanah. But how you're going to get it is decided every day. If you stole, Hashem is going to actually have other people steal from you. Midah can negate midah. So, the next person is Yitnu Acherim Ve'u Lo Yiten. Eno Ra'a B'Shelo. Another attitude towards money is a person that wants others should give. He said other people should give, but he, he shouldn't give. He has evil eye on himself, the Mishnah says. He has evil eye on himself. Why? This is a person that's so infatuated with money, he can't part with it. He loves it so much, it's almost like for him, he'd rather give his heart and not his money. There was one Avrech, the Tzarenu, it's an Avrech, it's a person who learns Torah. That we know indirectly, earth it's a uh, 10 days of Tshuva between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, everybody needs to do Tshuva. So, during that time is when you have to do all types of tikkunim. If you wasted seed, each time you wasted seed, there's 84 different types of tikkunim you have to do. If you were angry, it's 150 times you have to fast and so on and so forth. Now obviously most people can't fast 84 times or 150 times or even 20 times. So most people that are really serious about tshuva, what do they do? They give that money in tzedakah. So if instead of fasting 150 times for being an angry little gremlin and throwing something and breaking something, they give 150 times a value of a meal. Value of a meal. So if let's say, for example, value of a meal, let's say, I don't know, to get a, a normal meal, you don't have to, it's not a steak in, uh, for $80. You're talking about a normal meal, let's say it costs, I don't know, five bucks. So if for every time you were angry, you have to give seven hundred and fifty dollars. One hundred and fifty times five, seven hundred and fifty. You have to give seven hundred and fifty dollars. If you have the budget, you have the bill, you give it. If you don't, you give it in payment plans or you give it over time, whatever. The point is to try at least to do some chuva for this. Same thing with wasting seed. Every time you fast, eighty-four fast according to the Arizal. So that means that you have to have $420, minimum $420. Some say it's $10 a meal, so it's uh, $840. The point is that you should be honest with it. Don't lie on a tshuva. Don't, if you're already going to do tshuva, don't lie to Hashem at the same time. Anyway, if it's $5, if it's $10, whatever the case may be. Exactly. So there was one guy, one guy, that says, listen, I'd rather fast. He's like, what do you mean? you rather fast 84 times or 150 times or whatever that tikkun was? Like a lot, 100 times you'd rather fast than give the 400 bucks? And he had money, he's a millionaire. Because I, I, I can't, I, 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 I can't do it. i rather, but you have millions. I'd rather fast. Now you're saying, well, Boch Hashem, it means you're normal. All of you over here said, well, Boch Hashem, it means you're normal. He's miskin. That's how much a person can love money. Do you understand? If you don't control yourself, it gets out of control, Rabotai. 
it gets out of control and it becomes very, very dangerous for your neshama. Very dangerous for your neshama because you turn money into an idol. You're not able to part with it. So that's a person that we're here talking about is a person that's not able to give staka. He's so tight-fisted that he fears constantly for his own financial security. Yeah, but you have money. You have 100000 in the bank. You have 50000 in the bank. If you have, by the way, just so you know, anytime I mention rich people, people think that we're talking about Bill Gates. People think we're talking about Donald Trump. We're talking about somebody that's on Forbes magazine. People even think we're talking about millionaires. You don't have to be a millionaire to be considered rich. If you have enough comfort where you have at least six months worth of bills saved, you're already considered well off. You're already considered well off. Someone that's considered poor is someone that doesn't have enough money to survive the month. But if you have six months in savings, if your bills, let's say, are 5000 a month, and you have $30,000 saved up, and it doesn't make a difference how many accounts. You have $30,000. You're well off. You're great. So how come most people think they're poor? How come most people think they're, uh, they're not so good? No, I'm only middle class. I'm only this class. I'm only that class. Why? Because they have a distorted understanding of what's well off. When a Torah says well off, they're not, we're not comparing ourselves to Korach. We're comparing ourselves to what is your basic need. Now this week's parasha, parashat Korach, tells us that Korach was from Shevet Levi, and actually found, the Midrash says, that he found one of the three treasures of Yosef HaTzadik. And he had so much money that he literally had camels, camels, 70 camels just carrying the keys to his safe. That's how many safes he had. That's how much money he had. Until this day, it's a figure of speech to say, Ashir ke Korach, rich like Korach. The amount of money that he had if, if you understand the Midrash correctly, it literally would seem like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett would be cleaning his bathroom. That's how much money he had. But what happened with Korach? Anyone that read the parasha? Hashem opened up the ground and it swallowed Korach and anyone that followed him and anything that belonged to him. Meaning even if he had a little uh, toothpick, he left it in his friend's house. And he had a watch. And another friend's house. He lent it to him. And he had a car. And, uh, you know, it's parked in a different garage. He doesn't use it. It's a classic. You know, people collect cars. They have nothing to do with their lives, so they collect cars. They have nothing to do with their money. They collect stuff. Their, car, their, their houses become like a garbage pail of stuff they're never going to use. So they have a garage with 25 cars. Okay, how many cars can you drive? Oh, I don't even drive. Why? Oh, I have a chauffeur. So what do you have the 25 cars for? I collect them. You know, there's people that are homeless. There's people that don't have food to eat. There's people that don't even know, right? They don't know anything. And you have a collection of cards. You have nothing else to do with your life. You collect, I collect watches. People collect watches. Why collect watches? Why? How many times can you tell the time? Oh, I don't, I don't use the watch for time. What do you use? I use my phone. So why do you have so many watches? Oh, I like them. Oh, you like them? So if you saw somebody starving in the middle of the street... It's better for you to have a $30,000 watch than to give the guy that's starving in the street. It's better for you to the guy to go become a uh, Christian because he doesn't know what Torah is, but you have a $30,000 watch 
or 20 of them, you have a collection of watches. You have to pay deen for that. A person needs to pay judgment in Shemaim and say, you, I gave you money and you killed my children with it. Why? You had a watch collection. You had a car collection. You had a house collection. How many houses can you live in? How many houses can you live in? How many houses can you live in? How many bathrooms can you have? So, Rabutai, person that doesn't know the right and wrong, Hashem Yachem, he's in very, very big trouble. So, a person could be so tight-fisted, so cheap. It's because he's worried about his financial security when it's an unrealistic thing. He's not, he's not in jeopardy. He's not in, he doesn't have problems. But it is an imagination because he's counting everybody else's money, because he wants to give himself unrealistic goals. No, no, I'm only going to feel comfortable once I have a house as big as hers. No, I'm only going to feel comfortable when, uh, when all my kids are uh, in uh, college and married. Yeah, but they're three, four, five, and six years old. What are you going to do until then? People think that they control their future by saving money. Korach saved a lot of money. A ton of money. What did Hashem do? He swallowed all of it. All of it was destroyed. Every little pin that belonged to Korach, every, everything that belonged to Korach is in Genom together with him. He says, look, you and the money in Genom together. And until this day, the Gemara says, there's a place in the desert that you hear the voice of Korach and Adato say, Hashem is emet, Moshe is emet, Torah is emet, everything is true, I'm the, I'm the liar. I'm the liar. Him and his money. There's an opinion that he may have because he helped people do tshuva because of his punishment, but there's a bigger opinion that says he doesn't. Regardless of that, where he is right now is more what's, what's important, and that's the place we want to avoid. And that's because his attitude towards money is that he thought that because he had money, that also meant that he's right. And that's the wrong, that's the wrong perception on things. Because you have money means absolutely nothing. It just means Hashem gave you a tool to make mitzvot. If you're not going to use it to make mitzvot, then it was better off you didn't have the money. It was better off you didn't have the money. So one who believes in charity, but is afraid to contribute personally, because he doesn't know what the future holds. This person, the Me'iri says, suffers from a narrow perspective on life and a condition called Ayn Ra'a. He says that a certain type of person, he likes charity. He's like, yeah, there's a good cause. Make Jews more Jewish. Save people. Save Neshamot. Help the homeless. Help this. I like charity. Yeah, he publicizes on the net. He takes the charity. He publicizes the people. Yeah, you should donate. You should donate. You should. He tells everybody, donate. But he himself is not willing to take out $20 out of his pocket. How come you don't? Did you donate? Oh, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Wait, but you just told 100 people to donate on the WhatsApp group. You just told 100 people to donate on Facebook. 1,000 people on Facebook. You just told everybody to donate. Did you donate? No. Why not? You know, I, I didn't do it yet. When is yet? Okay, a week later. Did, you, did yet come? Did yet arrive? Did yet arrive? No, no, I didn't get to you. The check didn't clear yet. What kind of check? Where'd you get this check from? Africa? In the jungle? They wrote it on a, on a piece of tree? 
What did he write this check on a rock, like he did in the, in the, in the cartoons, in the Flintstones? The Flintstones, they wrote checks on rocks. What happened to the check? How come it didn't clear? Everybody else's checks clear in 24 hours. What happened to your check? I didn't get to it yet. What does it mean you didn't get to it yet? And get to it yet means he didn't get to it. He's not going to do it. Why? It's hard for him. It's hard for him. It's hard for her to part with the money. Why? I love it so much. I work so hard for it. Why should I just give it away? Why should I just give it away? I got bills to pay. Yeah, but you paid your bills already. Yeah, but what about next month? Okay, next month. Just like Hashem gave you money this month, I'll give you next month. Yeah, but I, I, do you believe in Hashem? Do you, believe, do you believe that there's a God that runs the world? Yeah, of course. I love God. You know, all the songs. I love all the songs about God. They sing all the songs. I love Hashem. I love Hashem. Okay, so how about you help Hashem's children do tshuva? How about you help Hashem's children have food for Shabbat? You sing, I love Hashem. Why don't you help his kids? Somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else is going to do it. It has more money. Yeah, but what about you? I'll, I'll get other people to donate. Fine, you'll get other people to donate. What about you? I don't have that much money. When I ask you for that much money, you have $100. You have 50 bucks. You have five. What do you have? You have nothing? You're homeless? I'll give you money then. If you're homeless, I'll give you money. I'll help you. You'll become one of the homeless people. We help. We help people that don't have money. If we have money and they don't have money, we try to help them. That's part of what we do. We don't have that much money, so we can't help that many people. But if, you don't, if you're in such dire straits, you don't have food to eat, I'll, 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 go, I'll go rob a bank if I have to go help you. But if you have money, how come you can't give? Oh, what about next month? Oh, so you don't believe in God. That means you don't believe in God. Why? Amal Rabbi Eliezer bin Holkinos. Gemara Masechet Brachot. A person that got food today. Food. He ate food. Hashem gave him food. But is worried about where am I going to eat tomorrow? Is a person that has tiny, tiny little microscopic emuna. Why? Why is your little microscopic? Why? If Hashem gave you food today, why are you worried about tomorrow? What do you want? Hashem to give you a down payment for the whole year in advance? Then you'll stop praying to Him. This is what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai answers a question, a big dilemma. They said, how come Hashem didn't give Am Yisrael the man only one time for the whole year? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, what is this thing like? He said, if a king wanted to give his children food and sustenance, and he said, you know what, let me save him some time. So here, guy, here, son, here, here's a million bucks for the year. The king noticed, oh, the kid stop coming home, stop checking on his father, stop calling, stop writing, not even answering a text message, except once a year. When? When he has to get a new refill, a new million bucks. So the king saw that giving his son money in advance is hurting the relationship. Why? Because the son doesn't call home anymore. He doesn't come home, he doesn't visit, nothing. He just became an ATM machine. So the king says, oh, listen, you know what? I don't have the million dollars this year. I only have enough for today. What about tomorrow? Come back tomorrow. And he saw that once he gave every day, the same amount, all of a sudden, 
the relationship was rebuilt. Why? Because now he sees him every day. He sees her every day. Every day he gives a little bit. Oh, Hashem. He says that's what it's like. Hashem Ibarach said, if I give them only once a year, they're only going to pray to me once a year. But if I give them man every day, and they're not going to know if I'm going to give him tomorrow. No one's going to know if Hashem is going to feed him tomorrow. That means they're going to pray for me tomorrow. They're going to pray for me today. They're not going to be satisfied with just today, because they're going to want tomorrow. That means they're going to talk to me all the time. We're not going to lose connection. So I'm doing it to save our relationship. Such is the chesed of Hashem. He not only wants to give us, but He also wants to connect to us too. So a person that only wants other people to give is a person that doesn't have this emunah. He doesn't believe that Hashem is going to give him tomorrow. He doesn't trust that Hashem is going to feed him tomorrow. It's a pessimistic view on life. It's a pessimistic view on, on Hashem in general. And it's actually not only chutzpah, it's also considered kfirah to a certain extent. It's considered heresy to a certain extent. Why? Hashem gave you and you still don't believe in Him? Rashi says that the, the, the person that has begrudges himself or has an evil eye literally means cheap. Literally means a person that's cheap. Meaning that he cannot motivate himself to help others at his own expense because he's afraid to deplete his own assets. Now, anyone that learned just a little bit, I have both of them. Anyone that learned just a little bit of Torah, a little bit, has heard some of the famous stories of what it says about people that Baalei Chesed, Baalei Tzedakah. The Gemara in Barchot and also in Ketubot says a very famous story about one of the Gvirim, one of the all-time famous wealthy people of Am Yisrael by the name of Nagdimon Ben-Gurion. Nagdimon Ben-Gurion was alive during the Bet HaMikdash, during the times of the Bet HaMikdash, second Bet HaMikdash. And the Gemara says that he was one of three people that financed the entire nation. We're talking about millions and millions of people. Him and two other people. Kalba Sabua and Tzitzit Kesef. Three of them financed millions of people. When the evil Romans surrounded Yerushalayim and didn't let us come in or, end, or leave. So everybody says, no worry. No one has to worry. I got enough. I have enough in my reserves to feed everyone. And they literally had enough in their reserves to feed everyone for three years. And they had even more. Until the Zionists of the day, called Giborim, decided, what are we going to do? We're going to burn the food. They thought it's going to be good for the people. What? To make the starve them. Such is the mind of Kofrim. We've always had them in our nation, unfortunately. Anyway, so he was a big Baal Chesed. Even before this time, Every time there was an event, there was uh, three times a year, the people, the tzaddikim from all over the world would come to Yerushalayim. And Nagdimon ben Gurion financed all of it. Financed all of it. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars. 
He financed all of it. One time, he saw that there's a shortage in water. Shortage in water. He went to an Arab, and he told him, listen, you have 12 wells of water. Let me buy them from you. For all the people that are coming up, there's thousands and thousands of people coming up to Yerushalayim, so I could uh, give them water. He goes, what are you going to pay me? I said, listen, I'll return them to you the same way I got them. They're all full now. I'll return all 12 wells the same way I got them, meaning you don't lose out anything. And if they're empty, whatever is empty out of them, I'll fill it with gold. It's a good deal. You have a well with a thousand gallons of water in it. The guy's going to use it. Naturally, you think it's going to go down. Right? If it goes down, you're not going to get water back. You're going to get gold instead. It's a good deal. The Arab said, okay, no problem. As the time passed, they had the event, they had the holiday, Baruch Hashem. The day came to pay back and all of the wells are empty. The Arab laughs. He's laughing his way to the bank. He thinks that the deal is over. He sends a messenger to Nagdimon uh, ben Gurion, he says, okay, Yalla, where's my money? Where's my money? No? Well, you want to give me a check? Make it payable to cash. Make it payable to, I'll spell for you. See? Hey? No? Where's the money? You want to give me the gold? You want to give me the house? You want to give me, what do you want to give me? Oh, hold on a second. I told you, I'll pay you back what I got. The deal ends at the end of today. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I just finished Shachrit. Relax. What do you mean? <laughs> well, you need to go get a wire transfer from, uh, from, 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 uh, from your foreign account, from Panama? Where, where are you going to hit? No, no, don't worry. Hashem's going to fill the wells. He starts laughing at him. He goes, what filled the wells? Even if it started raining, what do you think Hashem is going to fill 12 wells? This is a month of rain. He goes, you worry about you, I'll worry about me. I have till the end of the day. For the rest of the day, the Arab kept sending somebody to bother Nagdimon ben Gurion, making fun of him. No, no, no. You think he's going to fill it now? You think he's going to fill it now? Nagdimon ben Gurion, as there was very little time left, goes to the Bet Mikdash and starts praying to Hashem. He says, Hashem, what did I do this mitzvah for? For me? Do I need the water? Did I use the water? It was for your children. I shouldn't pay your debt. This is, this is water for your kids. You should pay your own debt. The rain started. The Arabs sent some people there. He goes, okay, nice. It's raining, but maybe it's going to fill up uh, 3%. Nagdimon went back into the... He started praying. Hashem, we need more rain. Mabul starts coming and in a short period of time. Rain like never before fills up all of the wells. Miracle. The Arab, disappointed that he didn't get all of all of the gold that he expected, still sends a messenger to Nagdimon ben Gurion. He says, "Listen, I still have a uh, only the God of Israel would do such a miracle for, for 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 you people, but I still have a case against you. I know your God protects you." But I still have a case against your God. He goes, why? He says, because 
our deal technically ended when the sun went down at 6. The wells weren't full until 6.15. So technically, you still owe me some money. You still owe me the money. So hold on a second. Nagdimon ben Gurion goes back to the Bet HaMikdash. Hashem talks to Hashem, like you and I are talking. Hashem, it's Hashem here. He thinks you can't do it. He thinks it's 15 minutes. What does Hashem do? Hashem makes Nagdimon ben Gurion one of three people in history that he actually brought back time. He put back the sun that went down and put it back in the sky. He put the sun back in the sky. It's like, oh, oh, see, sun's still out, deal's still on, walls are full. Meaning that Nagdimon ben Gurion was a tzaddik. He wasn't some rasha, some rich guy with uh, uh, hotels in Las Vegas. Where all the Toivat Hashem is there all day, all night. No, we're talking about Sadiq. The only people that Hashem put the sun back in the sky for, stopped the sun in its space, for who? Chizkiyahu and Yeshua Benun. That's it. Meaning he's in the same league as Chizkiyahu that Hashem, the Gemara says, says, I want Mashiach to come, it's going to be Chizkiyahu. Or Yeshua Benun, the Gdol Adol after Moshe Rabbeinu. So he was in the same league. Then the Gemara says in another place, in Masechet Brachot, says that one day Rabban Yochanan sees a young Jewish woman looking through the tzoat, looking through the waste, the filth of the donkeys of the Arabs. He says to Abiti, what are you doing? My daughter, what are you doing? Nice Jewish girl looking through the waste of the donkeys. He says, I'm looking for chita, I'm looking for grains that the donkeys haven't uh, digested yet. So we could eat with such poverty. He looks at her and goes, whose daughter are you? And she says, I'm the daughter of Nagdimon ben Gurion. Rabban Yochanan says, how could it be? Your father is a big god, tzaddik, very rich. He says, he used to be. He used to be rich. Used to be. Ban Yochanan says this, there's a problem here. It says, Tzaka, Tzaka Tatsim Mimavit. So the guy's going to save your life. Tzaka is going to help you in life. You know, Hashem is supposed to give. Maaser v'tit Asher. Someone gives Maaser. Hashem says, you're allowed to test me, I'll make you rich in your own lifetime. And the Chachamim say, yes, exactly. So yes, Nakdimon gave. He gave. He gave Tzaka. He gave the uh, for Amisar for the wells, and he gave for the for the Sifre Torah and for the Kolel and Yeshivot. He gave, but he didn't give enough. When you didn't, you don't give enough. You don't have the protection. You don't have the protection. When a person is not makpid, when a person is not precise to do the right thing when it comes to Maser, all bets are off. A bunch of people that used to be rich came to Rav Steinemann, a love of Shalom, after the crash, after the market crash 10 years ago. Group, 20, 30 people. All of them were very, very wealthy. All of them donate. And all of them lost a ton of money. 
And they come with a complaint. Room full of people come to a complaint to the Gdoladol. I said, Kvodarav, I don't understand. We gave money. We gave money to the Kolen, the Yeshiva, the school, the event, the days. We gave. How come we all lost money? A typical rabbi that doesn't have Yerat Shemaim these days, unfortunately, was going to say, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. But that's why that typical guy is not Gedol What does the Rav Steinemann say? He says, let me ask you, everyone answer honestly. Can anyone here testify with no doubt that you are makpid, you are precise and exact with your maser. Meaning, you got 100,000, you gave 10,000. Now you deducted this, you deducted this, you're, like, you're treating it like it's the IRS. No, this I gave some money to, uh, to, to my sister for a hot dog, so let's deduct that from the expenses. I gave uh, some guy a ride, so it cost me probably $5,000 gas. Let's deduct that and deduct this. By the time they finish, it's, uh, it's maser to give on $10. Yeah, but you made a million. Yeah, but I had expenses. He says, who was Macbeat to give? You got a hundred, you gave ten. You got a million, you gave a hundred. Who? One guy raised his hand. Room full of thirty people. One guy raised his hand. He says, yeah, what the rabbi did. He says, you lost money? No. Actually, I'm the only one here who didn't lose money. But I didn't tell my friends. Because I felt bad for them. So I wanted, I came with them. To show support. But actually I didn't lose a penny. I actually made money. I made money. Hashem pays cash, Rabotai. You want to test him? He says, no problem. Test me. You're allowed to test him on, on this. You're allowed to test. But if you're going to do the deductions and the calculations and then this, and I didn't sell and I didn't buy, and, I, and this was real estate and this was a stock and this was a Bitcoin and this was uh, chewing gum and this was a private business and this is my ex-wife and this is the yeshiva, the yeshiva count, does this count? People ask all these questions. Every day I get questions, and many other questions are like, can I deduct this from Maser? Can I deduct this from Maser? Can I deduct this? Can I deduct everything? Can I deduct lunch for Maser? Can I deduct that I bought a book for Maser? Can I deduct uh, my kid's yeshiva for Maser? Yeah, technically you can deduct yeshiva cost for Maser if it's your son, but not if it's your daughter. The tuition for your son, you're allowed to deduct for Maser according to Rabbi Vadia. But tuition for your daughter, you're not allowed to deduct for Maser. But no, if they heard you're allowed to deduct uh, the tuition, it's everybody. It's the kid, it's the neighbors, it's the it's his mass, it's everybody. It's the future cost. If I'm paying six thousand dollars a year now, I'll just estimate next year it's going to be twelve. So I'll just deduct that also. They treat maser like it's IRS. We're looking for deductions. We're looking for deductions. Somebody like that. It's no protection. It's no protection. There's no guarantee. There's no deal. You're cheating Hashem. You're cheating Hashem. You're treating it like it's a joke. You're treating it like you could fool Hashem. Honestly, better off you don't do anything. At least you're not cheating Hashem. You're stealing from Hashem, but you're not cheating Him. Instead, it's different. So, Abutai, 
Hashem says, Aser Asher. Some say if you give 10% of your, of your income, Hashem guarantees that you'll be rich. Some say, Aser Asher is actually Chomesh. It's 20%. It's 20%. Either way, a person that is afraid to do the calculations and be exact, and he's always waiting for another day, He's always saving for the rainy day, but he's not thinking about today. No, no, I'm going to give money in my will after I die. Hashem didn't ask you to give money after you die. He asked you to give money when you're alive. But you love your money more than you love Him. So you're assuming that uh, you're going to get to enjoy this world and the next world. So here we see that a person loses out a lot. Now there's a very famous story you guys ever drink the tea? Um, the tea called uh, Wizotsky? Wizotsky? Anybody here drink tea? Or am I the only one? You drink tea? Drink tea. You guys are too young. Okay. Israelis drink tea. Um, you guys are like American, you guys. Skinny. Iced tea? Skinny. Okay, just me and you. Me and you and probably a couple of people on the internet. Okay, there's a very uh, well-known kosher tea. Uh, called Wizotsky. Today, to be honest with you, today everything has to be kosher. Even though technically it's all leaves, today there's so much gal nefesh, so much disgusting stuff that they put in food that if it doesn't have kosher, personally I wouldn't eat it even if they say it's allowed. I told you guys last week and I think a couple of times before, there's a company called uh, Sinomex or Sinomax or some, some, some name. It's a public company. And they make food coloring and food um, food additives, food flavoring from uh, body parts, from fetuses, aborted fetuses that Planned Parenthood, Imach Shimon Vizichram, kills. And they sell these body parts to this Cinemax and uh, they make food flavoring out of it. And now I heard actually just today that there's a company in China, or at least one company in China, that has decided to take it to the next level and make pills out of body parts of aborted babies and sell it as if it's going to give you energy and you're not going to age and all types of things. So pretty much, we are at a generation where the average person is a cannibal. Is a cannibal, even if he doesn't know. Another kindness of Hashem to give us kosher, because if you eat kosher, none of this stuff is even a problem. That's why we recommend kosher even if you're not Jewish because honestly, if you're, if you're not eating kosher, who knows what you're eating? It could be you're eating your next-door neighbor just died last week. Could be. Again, that too. That's part of the flavoring too. Could be. Could be. Could be part of it at least. But anyway, they, uh, there was a uh, very rich Russian named Kalman Wizotsky. Kalman Wizotsky was a tycoon in Russia and a Jewish guy and um, had all types of investments. In today's terms, billions. Billions and billions of dollars in real estate and companies, all types of things. So one day, one of his uh, people came to him and offered him to invest in a tea business in Eretz Yisrael. Wizotsky laughed at him. He said, are you joking? 
Eretz Yisrael. You want to invest in Israel? This is before Eretz Yisrael. This is early 1900s. Before modern Israel. He says, you want me to invest in, in, in Palestine? The Turkish people that are running here right now are very difficult to deal with. They're thieves. They're this. They're, who wants to deal with these people? You want to invest in, in that country? Yeah, yeah, no, invest, invest. No, let's start a tea business. A tea business in a country where uh, pretty much you can't grow anything. It's all desert. Before modern Israel, you couldn't grow anything. And he said, okay, fine. He ended up, even though he laughed at it, that he considered it, he said himself, he considered a preposterous idea, meaning a ridiculous idea, but he only did it because he had so much money. He's like, ah, I have to do something with the money. Here, here's a few dollars. Go start a tea business in the middle of the desert. Tea, tea, you usually drink in, you know, in cold places. Go start a tea business in the middle of the desert. Go. He had so much money, the guy, it doesn't make a difference. He says himself that in 1917, the Caesar and his army were swept from power and the communist Russians took over. What did they take over? They took over everything. All of the assets, every single thing that he had, except what? The tea business in Israel. So when they fleed the country and went to Eretz Yisrael, that's how they restarted their life. And that tea business, Baruch Hashem, became a very big business. To this day, you see, you go to the kosher store, you see tea, Wazowski. And that's the story behind it. That's the story behind it. You invest in kosher tea. Hashem will give you blessing. Hashem will give you blessing. So, this is a person that didn't love money so much to such an extent that he says, you know what? If it's not going to be the typical thing, I'm not going to do it. Okay, something is in Israel. And it's a Kodesh. Let's take a shot. Took a shot and that's what actually saved him. The next part, the next part of the Mishnah, we're almost done, says, Iten v'itnu acherim. Chassid. A person that's a chassid, as we said, the definition, the Torah's definition of chassid is not if you wear a strimal. It's not if you have a really long beard. It's not if you belong to Chabad or Breslev or Gur or any of the chassidut today. What makes you a chassid is if you do above and beyond the letter of the law. Example, Hashem says, keep Shabbat, 25 hours. You keep Shabbat, 26. Hashem says, don't destroy your peot and the corners of your beard. You grow a beard. Not because you like the style. Because you're doing above and beyond what the law is. Hashem says, don't be angry. Not only are you not angry, you're not happy all the time. Hashem says, don't be cheap. Not only are you not cheap, you know, you're generous. Meaning, it's not that you're just not violating what Hashem said, and not doing or doing what He said, but you're actually going the extra mile. You're going above and beyond the law. That's chasidut by definition. And that's the only definition that we care about. Now, if a person wants to be a chassid, as we talked about, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we also talked a little bit about money. 
This is the one place that a person can truly look in the mirror and admit to himself whether he's a chassid or he's the grains of sand that maybe a chassid stepped on at some point in his life. Why? Because if you're chassid, you have to be, by definition, chassid with money. You have to be generous. Have to be. Because if you're not generous, if you're a stingy person, that means you love money too much. That means you love material too much. That means you haven't even begun to do tshuva. You haven't begun anything yet. You're still connected to material. You're still worshipping this money. You're still looking into materialism as if that's going to save your life. You still haven't connected to Hashem Barach for real. It's only superficial. What's superficial? Superficial connection to Hashem is only when there's good stuff. When there's good, when you got the good deal, when you have a nice car, when you bought the house, when you got married, when you had a kid, when everything was good in life, you love Hashem. You sing to everybody, you know, whoever, whoever believes is never afraid, Hashem, we love you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we love you, and all the nice Hasidic songs, and you have this little belt that you walk around with your jacket and your coat that you wear during your prayers, and you have the nice hat and the straymol and the day. It all looks good. But as soon as you have problems, as soon as the check doesn't clear, as soon as you get fired, as soon as somebody gets a disease, as soon as there's a terrorist attack, as soon as you lost a job, as soon as something happens, Hashem gives you a, a present called a test, all of a sudden, all bets are off. Hashem, why are you doing this to me? I don't understand. Wait, wait, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't understand? Hashem tests those people He loves. Hashem toast, tests those He loves. If you're getting a test, that means Hashem loves you. What are you complaining about? Then you're going to continue getting the test until you pass it. You're going to continue getting the test until you pass it. Because Hashem is cheering for you to win. And He cannot advance you according to His own law. He cannot advance you to the next level until you beat the level. It's like a like a video game. A video game. Everybody played, uh, if you played video games as a little kid, everybody wants to beat the game. But they forget that they're supposed to not cheat. You know, people have these cheat codes and they get to the last level in two seconds. That defeats the whole purpose. You're just wasting your parents' money and getting a new game for no reason. Now, obviously, this is be too Torah. It's a waste of time and don't do it. But the point is, is that in the secular world, people play these games and they buy these cheat codes to get to the end, which defeats the whole purpose of the game. You're supposed to beat the level, and then get to the next level, get to the next level, get to the next level, after beating the level. Hashem, Hashem wants to give you more, but you have to beat the level, and there's no cheat code. There's no cheat code with, with, with Hashem. There's no right, right, left, left, up, down, up, down, sideways, up, down, up, down, and you can beat the game. There's no, there's no, no cheat code. There's no cheat code. Anybody who plays video games as a kid knows what I meant. Point is, Rabotai, there's no cheat code. So, a person that wants to be a real Hasid has to be Hasid when it comes to money. Not only should he give, but he gets other people to give. 
he donates what he's supposed to donate. But not only that, that's just his own mitzvah. What else does he do? He gets other people to give. No, no, you hear about this irgun? You hear about this cure of organization? You hear about this cause? You hear about this convert? This, uh, this wedding? This chesed? This talmit chacham? You heard about these things? No, I didn't hear. No, no, let me tell you about it. No, I'm busy. Okay, busy after I finish. I'm trying to do you a favor. What favor? I'm working. You're not trying to ask me money. No, I'm doing you a favor. I could be saving your life. It's chayim yile machazikim ba betomcheh ameushar. Etz chayim. Etz chayim is a symbol for a talmit chacham. The tree of life. The tree of life is given to who? Those people. Those people are benefit of the ones that invest in it. The ones that invest in the Tamid Chacham, they're the ones that are beneficial. Why? Shouldn't it be that Etz Chaim should be happy? Shouldn't it be that the, the, the guy that got the money should be happy? He goes, no. The one that invested in the Talmud Chacham, the one that invested in getting Jews to do Tshuva, the one that invested in Kiruv, the one that invested in Hashem's Torah, he's going to be happy. Why? Shouldn't it be that the rabbi is happy? He got the money? Shouldn't it be that the organization is happy because they got the money? No. No. Why no? They were going to get the money anyway. It was already judged in Shemaim and Rosh Hashanah that they're going to get the money. Meaning, the only thing that changed is you decided that you're going to be the vessel. You're going to be the tomech. You're going to be the investor in this organization. You're going to be the investor in this Torah. You want to be a partner with Hashem. Rabbi Kadosh, Rabbi Udanasi. Everyone in this generation said if Mashiach would come right now, it's Rabbi. He's a perfect human being. Perfect human being. Kedusha, Tara, never looked at his breed. Look, forget touch. Never looked at his breed. That's what he called him, they called him Rabbi Kadosh. Only three people that I know of in the entire Gemara are called Kadosh. Oh, actually, not, not in the Gemara, in general, in Judaism. Is Yaakov Avinu one of them? No. It's not called Yaakov Avinu HaKadosh. It's called Yaakov Avinu. Why? Because Rebbe never even looked at his Brit. Now, Rebbe was very rich. Rebbe was very, very rich to such an extent he had hundreds and hundreds of horses, hundreds of properties, Servants, workers, employees. Love deal, but you can call him like he was in the Forbes 500. But still, any time there was a chesed, there was tzakah, the Gemara says he did kindness for all of his friends by inviting them to donate. Why is it kindness for his friends? Because in reality, Rebbe was able to donate by himself. He didn't need the help. He had plenty of money. He had plenty of money to donate. He didn't need their money. He says, no, but I was doing them a favor. What? I was allowing them to take partnership in the mitzvah. They needed a million dollars. I had ten million dollars. But I said, you know what? I'll donate half a million. You guys donate half a million. I allowed you to be a partner in the mitzvah. Why? That's mitzvah chasidut. That's what a chasid does. Not only he gives... He also shares the mitzvah. But don't be a fake chassid. What's a fake chassid? He just tells everybody else about the mitzvah. He doesn't do it himself. 
Or he donates $3 and he wants everybody else to donate the, the other million. No, no, I donated also. What'd you donate? I, I donated myself for my baby son that didn't work yet. I gave, they gave him for his brit milah. They gave him $10 pretend money, monopoly money. So I gave myself from the, from the $10. From the monopoly money. But you guys, you guys should be partners in this mitzvah. What about you? How come you didn't give fake chassid? So Rabotai, it's very, very important for a person to know that to be a chassid, you need to share a mitzvot. A person that's kadosh in the Torah is like, for example, or chayim kadosh. There's a, three people that I know of that are called Kadosh. Kadosh means that a person that watched his Brit. So, for example, you have uh, Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik is also called Tzadik because he watched his Brit. There's a certain kinui, a certain nickname that Hashem gives to specific people when they do, when they excel in a certain mitzvah, specifically with Shomer Brit. So Yosef HaTzadik is the only one in the entire Torah that's called Tzadik. So the Gemara in Masechet Sotah, uh, Masechet Sotah says, why is he called Sadiq? Because he washed his brit during a test with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife was one of four most beautiful women in history. And he didn't sin with her, when he had an opportunity to sin with her. There's also Rebbe Kadosh, there's Or Chaim Kadosh, and a couple of others, but the point is, is that people are called these, these names not because... Somebody just decided to call him that. This is a nickname that stood because it had the blessing of Hashem. And specifically when people overcame enormous tests, specifically with the test of arayot, uh, sex, sex issues. So, to understand the issue of sharing a mitzvah, there's a f- phenomenal story about Rabbi Yonatan Ibishitz. Rabbi Yonatan Ibishitz had a friend that was a kanai a friend that was zealous, tzaddik. And every day they would study, study today together Chavruta, and letzaram, to, to their uh, dismay, every day when the sun went up and went down, the shadow of the cross that's on the church across the street would show up in the Beknesset. In the, through the window, it would show up in the Beknesset, like the shadow of it would be on the Beknesset floor. It would drive him crazy. But what are you going to do? The Nutsim, the Christians, they're the powerful. What are you going to do? You can't do anything about it. What are you tell them, can you please move it? What are you going to tell them? They're going to kill you. But his zealous friend couldn't take it one day. He says, that's it. I have a pizza on. What are you going to do? I'm going to destroy it. They're going to kill you. Let them kill me. Moseh nafshah for Kiddush Hashem. Sacrifice his life for a sanctification of Hashem's name. So he goes, destroys the cross, and as he comes down from destroying the cross, what do they do? They catch him. They catch him, they throw him in their jail, and they decide, okay, we have to kill him. After their fake court hearing, they say, okay, we're going to kill him. So now... And the rest of the Kilah have to find a way to save him. What's the best way to get people to do what you want? Especially if they are of the Abu Money. So they find somebody that works for the church, the guard of the church, 
they find out that he likes money. Big surprise. So they tell him, listen, how much money is it you free our friend? Like, oh, your friend's expensive. Okay, okay, how much, how much? Listen, if they catch me, it's okay, okay, how much, how much? He tells them a huge amount. No problem, we'll get it to you. Listen, you don't have that much time. We'll get it to you. The Bureau of IB sheet says, I don't know if they're going to get it, they're not going to get it, it's going to take some time. I have the amount. He has the amount because his uh, father-in-law gave them a big present when they got married. He's rich. Gave a big present to his daughter to make sure that she's okay. Here. He takes everything the father-in-law gave, their entire life savings, from the safe without telling his wife, and goes and gives it to the Christian. He says, here, free my friend. The rest of the kila comes to the goy and says, okay, we got, we got part of the money. He goes, ah, don't worry. Don't worry, uh, I, uh, your friend, Rabbi Yonatan, Rabbi Yonatan, you already paid me the full amount. Your friend is already free. So the kila comes to Rabbi Yonatan Abishitz. He says, we want a piece of the mitzvah. We got half the money. He goes, wow, hey, you want me to share you want me to share the mitzvah? I don't know. I already did it. I already did it. I already did the mitzvah. I can't sell you mitzvah. I already did it. So they got all the money, but now, mitzvah, it's already too late. But now, Rabbi Yonatan has to deal with the consequences. What's the consequences? It's to tell his wife that they're poor now. He's scared to tell his wife, so what does he do? He goes to, he says, okay, I'll be back. He goes to the corner and hides there for a week. He hides in the corner for a week. After a week passes, yeah, I have to go home. During that week, the Christian comes to his wife's, comes to his house. And he's under pressure. He's like, listen, here. And he gives her three buckets full of diamonds and gold and money. He goes, here, give this to your husband. She goes, what is this for? He says, listen, they caught me at the church. I've been stealing money for them for years. And they saw there's something fishy with this prisoner ran away and it's under my control and they want to kill me. So I have to run away. I can't take all this money. So if I survive, I know that your husband is so honest that he's going to give me the money back. And if he does, if I don't survive, I want him to have it. She goes, why do you want him to have it? Why do you like my husband so much? You're Christian. He says, because your husband is a real Jew. He was willing to sacrifice everything he has just to save another Jew. Just to say, everything you guys had, he gave me. He told me he gave everything you have. She doesn't even know yet. She doesn't even know. She's finding out from the guy. He gave me everything you have to save his friend, to save another Jew. So he deserves it. If I survive, I know he's honest enough that he's going to give it back to me. If I don't survive, I want him to have it. So he gives her these three buckets full of diamonds and gold and everything. Rabbi Yonatan Ibisitz comes home later that day. He doesn't know what to do. He, still, he doesn't know what happened. He's coming home. I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her. No, no, I'm not going to tell her. I'm going to tell her. I'm not going to tell her. I'm going to tell her. I'm not going to tell her. What I'm going to do? He comes into the house. His wife is happy and cheering and singing. Look what your God did for you. Look what your God did for you. Look what your lover did for you. Look what your lover did for you. Who loves me? Who God? 
Why? Why are you saying God loves me? Look what he did for you. Look, you gave a little bit of our money, what we had, a little bit that we have. Look how much reward he gave you. Three buckets full of gold. And a thousand times more. What do you do now? Honestly, what do you do at this moment? You're Rabbi Yonatan. What do you do? You start singing. You start singing. We love you. Right? So you're singing. What does he do? He starts hysterical crying. Rabbi Yonatan Ibishit Alava Shalom starts hysterical crying because he knows the truth. He says, Oi, vai, voi! Oy vay vay, Lee, Hashem paid me reward in this world. Oy vay vay. Hashem paid me reward in this world. That means He doesn't like my mitzvah. He doesn't like my mitzvah. And I know why He doesn't like my mitzvah. Because I didn't share the chesed. I didn't share. I took it all to myself. He says, oh, you took it all to yourself? I'll give you all the reward here then. You want all the mitzvah to yourself? Fine. I'll give you the reward to yourself too. Oy vay vay, what did I do to my connection with Hashem? Oy vay vay, look what I'm doing. All this, what am I doing with all this money, all this garbage? What am I going to do with this garbage? My connection with Hashem is, 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 is hurt. That's a lover of Hashem. Do you understand? People say, no, no, I love Hashem. I love Hashem. What do you love Hashem? You love His money He gave you? You love the wife He gave you? The husband He gave you? The kids He gave you? What do you love Hashem? Loving Hashem Rabotai is like what Eyov. Eyov says, even if he were to destroy me, I would still serve him. The Baal Shem Tov, Allah Shalom, says, what does this mean? It says, it means that if Hashem says, from now on, every mitzvah you do, you're going to go to Gainom for. And every avera, you go to Gan Eden. What do you do? I'm asking you a question. Okay, from now on, he says, every mitzvah, as a bat call comes from Shemaim, the Torah, says, from now on, every mitzvah you do, you're going to go to Gainom. And every sin, now you're going to go to Gan Can anyone honestly say they would even fulfill one mitzvah for the, for the rest of their life? Or they're all going to do sins? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'll be the first one to say, no more, no more, no more mitzvah. Why? Because we're selfish. We're selfish people. We're selfish people. We want to go to Ganeden. We care less about Ritzon Hashem. Because we don't love Him. We love ourselves. What does the Baal Shem Tov says? Even if Hashem tells me that every mitzvah I go to Ganeden, I'm still doing the mitzvah. Because I know that's His will. And even when I go up to Shemaim, the Baal Shem Tov says, I go up to Shemaim. They tell me, listen, you got to go to Kafakela. Oh, great. Hashem said it. Fine. Do, 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 do. He, runs to, he runs to Kafakela. Oh, Hashem says to Gainom. I'm going to Gainom. Hey. What do you mean? You're going to suffer. Yeah, but that's what Hashem wants. If that's what Hashem wants, let it be suffering. That's loving Hashem. Meaning we're dreaming when we say, oh, I love Hashem. What I love Hashem? You love yourself. Rabbi Yonatan Ibishitz understood Rabotai Karim, he understood what it means to connect to Hashem and what's at risk when we're disconnected. He says, I did a mitzvah, I gave everything I had. But it was incomplete mitzvah. Why? It was selfish. Selfish. You have to share the mitzvah. Share the mitzvah. 
And that's why for us to do mitzvot, it's not just about doing something. It's about doing it completely. There's all, the connection with Hashem is all about shlemut. Shlemut meaning complete. You want your mitzvot to be complete. So, here we'll finish this specific part and understand that this is the Hasid. This is the Hasid that wants to do above and beyond the law, not only he himself giving, but he wants other people to give. So a person not only gives, but he also helps other people give. The Chelek Yaakov gives a chidush, gives a chidush about this specific thing, and he says there are eight levels of charity that the Rambam discusses. I went over it last week, if you remember. Different levels of, of charity. A person that gives, but doesn't really want to give, that's the lowest form of charity. He doesn't really want to give. According to the Torah, the Bed-Din, the Bed-Din is allowed to force people to give tzedakah, even though it's not practiced anymore, at least not to my knowledge. Um, but a person that the Bed-Din forces him to give, and he gives, that's the lowest form of charity. The highest form of charity is when someone gives another person the ability to make it on their own gives them a loan to make into a business, a, a, a interest-free loan. But sometimes the Yetzirah will fool us into thinking that we're doing mitzvot when in reality we're doing averot. How so? A person is looking for tzedakah. A person is looking to get help. He has uh, problems. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any food to eat and so on. And a person comes to him and goes, okay, listen, I'll do a mitzvah. I'll lend you the money. I'll lend you the $10,000. I'll lend you $100,000. I'll lend you whatever the money is. I'll lend it to you. Now, the problem is that the person doesn't have any money also doesn't have a way to pay you back. And in reality, he wasn't asking for a loan. He was asking for a tzedakah. If you're giving somebody a loan when they didn't ask for it, they asked for tzedakah, and you're pretending that you're doing the highest level of tzedakah, you're wrong. Why? Because you're not giving the person what they're looking for. You're only trying to give yourself what you're looking for, which is, you don't really want to give any tzedakah because you're too cheap. You're too cheap. So what do you want? You're just giving the guy a loan, but you're pretending to be a tzaddik. Law, yeah, you know how many people I help? You know how many people I help? I lend him money, I lend him money. Yeah, but they didn't ask for any money. And all of them are going to feel bad for the rest of their life because they can't pay you back. Or even if they pay you back... They're giving you their own food. They have to skip uh, one day a week eating just to pay you back the loan. You're the loan shark. That's not a mitzvah. So a person cannot fool themselves. And definitely cannot fool Hashem. So he says here, the highest level of tzedakah is where an intermediary is used. Where neither the giver nor the recipient are aware of the other's identity. This is before the, the level I just told you. 
When a person wants to do mamash midat chasidut, wants to be a chasid, not only is he going to give before people ask him, he's going to look for ways to give staka. He has money, he knows Hashem gave him the money specifically to do good. Not to build up his IRA account. Not to uh, build up his 401k and plan his retirement from 30 years from now. Who said you're going to survive 30 years? He gave you money today for you to use today. Now, we're not saying you should be homeless by because you gave. There's also laws of how much to give and so on. But the point being is that a person that doesn't give because he is trying to save for a rainy day or save for retirement or all of this other stuff is obviously just using that as an excuse not to give. So now, if a person wants to be a chassid when it comes to money, not only is he not waiting for people to say, oh listen, there's a cause you should give to, he's not waiting, he's looking for them. He's doing research. Instead of doing research on the news of who's going to be the next president, or uh, what's the best stock, or who won this sports uh, competition, or who is the richest guy on the Forbes 500 list, instead of wasting his life on that, he's looking for good causes. Which one is the cause that sanctifies Hashem's name the most? Which one helps Am Yisrael do the best in the name of Hashem? Which one? He looks for that. That's what he spends his extra time on. And not his extra time. So now, this is a person that already is doing chasidut in the sense that he's looking for people instead of waiting for them. Second thing is, when he gives, he gives anonymously. He gives anonymously. He doesn't tell them who he is. He sends the check with no name on it. He gives cash. He's not looking for uh, the, the chandelier to have his name on or the building to have his name on it. But if he wants to get to the highest, highest level, he gives the tafkid of giving to somebody he trusts. Instead of him giving directly to a certain organization, he gets a, a real friend. He says, Make yourself a rabbi, but buy yourself a friend. Here is one of the places you need to buy yourself a friend. How? You got, get yourself a real friend that's going to tell you right and wrong. That's going to rebuke you when it's necessary. It's going to lead you the right direction. You say, listen, here's a thousand dollars. Go give it to the place that is going to do the biggest Kiddush Hashem. The place that will help Am Yisrael the most. Don't tell me who. Don't tell me who. Why? I don't want them to know, I don't want to know who they are and I don't want them to know who I am. Because I want a pure mitzvah. I want a pure mitzvah. This is midat chasidut. Today, the chachamim say that if it wasn't for ego, there wouldn't be bateknesset. Today, this midat chasidut is almost like talking about the Ten Commandments and uh, you know, and Mount Sinai. It's so far away from us because most people, if you, if they don't get recognition, they can't give. Just they can't they can't bring themselves to give. Or even if they give, they give only a little bit. Private and a lot of it public. I used to have this client. I had a few of these clients where they had a lot of money. They invest with us. But they'd buy a little bit of you know, a little bit of stuff with me. They invest a million, two million with me on a certain deal. But on their own, they buy the same thing. They buy the same stock they bought with me, 
But on their own, they buy $10, $20 million worth. Why? They want to save an extra couple of points on commission. So they feed me. They give me a few million dollars. Because they like the deals. They know they're going to make money. For out of 16 years, with the exception of the last five years, everything turned to gold. Then the last five years, everything turned to ashes. But... For a long time, they liked the deal, so they gave me some money. Yeah, I want, keep coming, keep coming, keep giving me these deals. Here's a couple of million, here's a couple of million, here's a couple of million. But some of them were so cheap. As far as paying, paying what, that, they buy two, three, four, five million dollars with me and twenty million dollars on their own. Just to save a point, two points, three points in commission. At a, uh, so-called uncle. That, uh, was very wealthy. Is very wealthy, and uh, when I first started in the business, I was looking for clients. And uh, my dad told me, "Listen, why don't you call him? He just sold his hotel. He has some money." Ta ta ta. I said, "Okay." So I called the guy. I told him, "Listen, I'm doing this." Ta ta ta. Oh, yeah, it sounds good. What do you have? So I give him two of my best picks, two of the best ideas I was working on. And all right, it sounds good. Get get back to me. Get back to me in a week, two weeks, three weeks. All of a sudden, I call him. Yeah, no, I don't know. It's not really for me, but uh, I'll look. I'll track him. I'll track him. I'll see if I like him. You know, I'll track them. Okay. Maybe a year and a half, two years later, he sends me an email. Listen, the two ideas that you gave me, I made a lot of money on one of them, but the second one, it didn't go up 300%. It only went up like, only like 30%. You have anything better? Chutzpan. Man, not only did you just steal my, you stole, you stole money from me. You're not allowed to steal somebody's idea. It's gezel. You're not allowed to steal it. You're not allowed to steal somebody's idea. You're not even allowed to look at somebody's paper. If it's not yours, if somebody's reading a book. You're not allowed to go look and read the book. Not allowed. No, you oh, I, I heard this guy say something, so you say it. If you say it, you have to say it in his name. So the guy not only has the chutzpah to steal the idea, especially at that time I needed it. At that time I was starting out and didn't have any money. But he asked for more too. Such is the bad midot of people that worship money. So last but not least... Last but not least, is the last part of the Mishnah. It says, Lo yiten ve lo achirim, rasha. A person that he doesn't want to give, and he also he doesn't want other people to give. And that person, the Torah calls him, this is a rasha. This is an evil person. Why is an evil person? Okay, he's cheap. Why does that make him evil? Why is somebody that's cheap evil? Plenty of people that are cheap, and they're really nice people. Selfish, okay, but why evil? Why connect evil with cheap? Cheap, oh Hashem, plenty of people cheap. Sadam, so he's cheap, but why evil? Sadam, why is it evil trait? Why is being cheap evil? Sadam, so that means he's a kofir, but why evil? Opposite of Hashem. Opposite of Hashem. Hashem Barach only gives. 
He is the Baal Chesed, the ultimate Baal Chesed. Why? He only gives and never takes. You cannot offer Hashem anything. Your tefillot, your brachot, your learning, all for you. When the Mashiach comes, the Rambam says, he's going to ask everybody, what did you do for me? What did you do for me? What did you do for me? You have, thir- you have 13 principles of faith. You have to believe the Mashiach is going to come as one of them. Any day. So Mashiach comes after Gogu Magog, 15 days of darkness, Hashem Yachem, two-thirds of the world dies, all types of problems, Balagan. Let's say you survived. Let's say. Is on Hashem, we do tshuva, we go to shiurim. Ah, okay, good. Mashiach is going to ask, what did you do for me? What did you do for me to come? Now, first person is say, oh, I went to Shul Torah. Oh, I learned Torah. Oh, I did blessings. What is the Mashiach going to say? No, no, that was for you. The blessings, the tefillot, the learning, the mitzvot, that's all for you. What did you do for me? Ah, For you, you learn mitzvot, you do, you learn, that's for you. If you want to do something for me, you bring Hashem's children back home. If you get other people to do tshuva, ah, that's for me. Why? Because in reality, in reality, it's a thankless job. You don't really get reward for it in this world. You don't get noticeable reward in this world from it. For the most part, if you're really doing your job right, a lot of people going against you. The malach the Zohar Kadosh, the Zohar Kadosh, I saw it. The Zohar Kadosh says, the Malach HaMavit gets up off the chair for you. Why? To go against you specifically, to war. Because you're stealing his employees. Just like Hashem, Hashem, Hashem Barach built everything with a equal, if you will. So he gave Am Yisrael Moshe Rabbeinu, he gave the Goyim Bilam. And the Gemara says that Bilam actually had one power that Moshe Rabbeinu did not have. Meaning, he was actually even in one step greater. That's why it says, no one that was like Moshe was ever around in Israel. In Israel. Why? Because in the Goim, there was somebody like Moshe. There was Bilam. But Bilam used the same powers that Moshe had to be a Rasha. That's why he's in where he is in Gainom forever. But the point is, Rabotai, is that Hashem gave a balance. Light, dark, tall, short, so on and so forth. And just like Hashem, the Zohar Kadosh says, just like Hashem has Kisei Kavod, is the throne of glory, He gave the throne of glory also to the Malach HaMavit. And the Malach HaMavit, He doesn't get up after the throne. He has servants. Every time a person makes a, a sin, He creates a servant of the Satan. Every time a person makes a sin, it's as if He brought a korban, a sacrifice to the Satan. He created something for the Satan. He created a new employee. And that employee is going to influence this person to make more sins. And that's why you see, every time somebody starts with a little sin, mitzvah goreret mitzvah, avera goreret avera. One mitzvah leads to another, one sin leads to another. We learned this in Mishnah Avot, uh, maybe three months ago. So now, this is because this demon that he created is an employee of the Satan. And he's working and influencing the person to make more demons, more, more, more sins. So how come it's not the Satan himself? 
says, because Satan doesn't get up for just anybody. He has employees. He's a king. He doesn't just get up for anybody. Who does he get up for? The Zohar Kadosh says he gets up for Mezakeh Rabin. He gets up for people that go do Kiruv. Not just the speakers, even the people that help them. The volunteers, the employees, the donors. All of them. Why? You're stealing my employees. You're bringing the Mashiach. Once the Mashiach comes, he's going to slaughter me. Hashem's going to slaughter me. I have to deal with you. Hey, I have to deal with you personally. And that's why you see, if you're involved in Kiruv, you see that some of the tests that you get are kamamamash unbelievable. Unusual tests. Unusual. I could testify as myself. Honestly, some of the things, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. If I told you what really goes on every day of my life, you say, no, no, even in a book they wouldn't write this. I don't tell you, because uh, people would think it's something. It's unbelievable. Even my own rabbi, Rabbi Ephraim, he is Shem Rechem, how many tests he goes to, he's a big man, he's a care But he tells me, when I tell my tests, he tells me some of his. We don't even tell each other everything. Okay, it's like, all right, come on. But he says, honestly, the other day I told him something I was going through. He goes, honestly, if it wasn't you, I wouldn't believe it. I don't think even if you wrote this in a book, one day you're going to write a book, and uh, don't write this in a book. Because no one's going to believe this. No one's going to believe this. This, is, this happened to me time, he said. One? One. How, how recent do you want it to be? Right now you want it from last week, you want it from a week before? Can that's enough, but uh, I wasn't a Mizrahi Arabim yet. You haven't heard yet. Okay. How many plagues were in Egypt? Plagues. Ten. Okay. Ten plagues were in Egypt. So, Dam Tzfardeya Kinim, right? Now, before we move, before we moved to uh, to Florida. We lived in a $4 million apartment in New York on the 35th floor. Even bugs don't go up there. 35th floor, bugs don't even go up to the 35th floor. They already stop. At the 6th, 7th floor, they stop. Okay, Manhattan. So anyway, so all this natural life, you know, squirrels and cats and dogs and, uh, and bugs and all that stuff, I saw it on TV. <laughs> It was on Discovery Channel. That's it. That's as, that's as uh, you know, once in a while you see a squirrel on the street, on the trees, but it wasn't like something. So over time, you learn about these things, and, you know, you get to become a, a little bit, um, not necessarily germaphobe, just a little bit sensitive to some of these things. Unusual. So now when I first moved, when we first moved to Florida, I first saw the lizards. I saw lizards, and I found this very unusual. I'm like, what do you mean? Was it a zoo? Why is there lizards outside my house? There's lizards everywhere. I found it very unusual. And everybody told me, no, this is common. And then I saw like a dinosaur. They called it an iguana. There's a dinosaur next to my house. And then he has a friend. It's like a whole, like a, 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 like a slew of dinosaurs coming to my house. I'm like, oh, Baruch Hashem, Bereshit. Bereshit. I see little dinosaurs next to my house. Each one, they're climbing trees. And how are they climbing trees? So this was like, okay, this is Florida. Fine, no problem. 
It's not a test. It's not a test. Just funny. So it's like, you know, unusual, different. You know, I live in a house now. So when first we moved, we lived in Boca, Boca Raton, which I later found out is the mouth of the rat. That's what it means in Spanish, mouth of the rat. And I found out they were talking about Goldberg. He's the rat. Because everything that comes out of his mouth is only a rat could say it. Guy wants to invite a missionary, Catholic missionary to a Jewish shul. What else are you going to call him? You can't call him a Jew. Reform is better. Reform is better. Reform at least has his beliefs. He believes in nothing. This one pretends like he believes in Judaism, but he brings Christian missionaries and uh, sexaholics to speak to the, to, the, to, the, to the people. Yeah. So anyway, let's stay to the story and stay funny. So I saw one time I, uh, outside my house, I, uh, it was raining, and I noticed that it rains almost every day. And I thought, okay, I said that it again, we're Pasha Noach. We saw the dinosaurs in the first week. Now we're seeing rain every day over here in Florida. I said, oh, Baruch Hashem, Noach is coming any day. It rained so much. Unbelievable to me. Okay, fine. Rain, 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 rain. But then I noticed, now the lizards have friends. What? Frogs. <laughs> These little dinosaurs have friends of frogs. And there's, there's, I couldn't believe them. Like, what are the frogs doing in front of my house? For you, Kodesh Kodeshim, I understand that Torah, it says, Masrut Nafsham, 100%, Discovery Channel. Not in front of my house. Now, up to now, fine, they're frogs from a distance. Once in a while, they were next to my door. Once in a while, they were next to my door. And I didn't really like it so much. But, whatever. I was like, run out, run in. Said What's the test? Now, as you can see, I'm a little bit sensitive about this stuff. I don't like it. Now, right before Shabbat, this is Shabbat, past Shabbat, Thursday. Thursday, Friday, Thursday. No, Shabbat, Shabbat, Friday, Friday. Apparently, one of these frogs gave birth outside my house. And we looked it up, and when we looked outside, and we saw there's literally a thousand frogs outside my house. Yes. From 200 to 1,000 little frogs come out of an average frog. And 1,000 of them. This one, Mahmir. This one, 1,000 frogs are outside my house. They're everywhere. Uh, tiny, no tiny. There's 1,000 frogs outside my house. And what are they doing? They're climbing everything. The walls, the windows, everywhere. Now, Shabbat came in. Are you allowed to kill? One of the 39 melachot, now let the kill. But they're outside, right? What's the problem? The window, the window had a crack. Had some crack in the, the, the connecting, not the window, it's not the glass part, but the connecting out of the, the male, female part, whatever it is, whatever kapat that belonged to me, had my name on it, over a hundred frogs entered the house. 30 on Shabbat, another 30 on Moshe Shabbat, another Shem until we got somebody to shut off the windows. What a kaparat avonot. For three days, the average day, over 30 frogs per day are coming in. And they're jumping all over the house. I'm trying to study, and there's a frog jumping over here. 
Now, come on. Does this happen to the average person? Egypt it happened. That's why I told my rabbi. I said, okay, I'm having these five. He goes, yeah, exactly. I found it in a place in the Torah. He says, I, he went, my rabbi, Hashem, he says, I went to Amikubal. And I told him, listen, for the Rav, we need help. What? He says, we have a problem with frogs. There's over a thousand frogs at a house. The, the Mikubal says, listen, it's a big, big guy. He goes, listen, I have kameot for rats. I have kameot for, for dogs, for cats, for everything. But I never heard of anything about frogs f- until Egypt. This doesn't happen. A thousand frogs don't show up to anybody's house. Never. This, he says, this is, belongs to him. We can't help him. It's Kaparat Avonot with his name on it. You understand? This is Rabotai. This is just the day in my life. Baruch Hashem. Hashem gives me Midah Kineged Midah. Now what do you learn from What do you learn from from, from, from You have to learn. You have to learn, why do you have frogs in your house? Nice house, little two cute babies. Why do you have frogs in your house? Bouchard. And I'm telling you the story, it's embarrassing. My wife's probably going to kill me. Say, so why are you telling me why you have frogs in the house? <laughs> so now, why do you have frogs in your house? You have to learn about frogs. You have to learn about frogs, Rabotai. Frogs, what can you learn from a frog? So we're going to finish with this. First and foremost, as Kvodo said... The frogs were one of the ten plagues. But if you look at the book of, of uh, Shemot, Exodus, after Paro said, listen, I'll do tshuva. I'll do tshuva. Just tell your God to stop this. Moshe tells to Paro, tell me when. Meaning, so you don't think that it's some type of happenstance that it incidentally the frog stopped because of the weather, weather or because of the day. No, tell me when you want it to stop. Paro said, tomorrow. Such an idiot. She said, today. No, he says, I want to see that it's tomorrow. Because if I, I want to see it's tomorrow. That, this is how much of an ego he had. So now, Moshe comes to Hashem. Christ to Hashem, the parasha says, Hashem, please stop the frogs. Hashem sends a malach. Malach comes. Frogs! Frogs! Hashem says, leave! He didn't say, kill yourself. He says, leave. The frogs, the parasha says, many of them went into the Nile and lived. Many of them went back into the river and lived. But he says, many of them went into the Tanul. Many of them went into the fire. Why go into the fire? Why go into the fire, frog? It's a fire. You don't do well in fire. You don't do well in fire. Why are you going into the fire? The Tzfardeim did a kalva chomer. The Tzfardeim, the frog, did a kalva chomer. He said, listen, if I go back to the river, it's going to take me 20 minutes. The fire is 2 minutes. That means there's a difference of 18 minutes that Hashem is not going to be satisfied with me. It's better that I kill myself, frog, that lives off of instinct. It's better that I kill myself, did Hashem not being satisfied with me for 18 minutes? Hashem reward them in this world. What? None of them died. None of the Tzfardeim died. Now, fast forward. Fast forward. Chaninah Mishael Ba'azariah. In the book of Daniel. It says Chaninah Mishael Ba'azariah. 
were gedolei adol. Nebuchadnezzar Hashan says, "Listen, I just built a big statue. Every one of the nations that uh, over here has to come, say, worship this statue." Chanei Mishael Nazariah had an option to leave, to run away. But then they knew if we leave and run away, tomorrow the paper is going to say all the nations came and worshipped the statue. They're not going to say Chanei Mishael Nazariah ran away because they're not going to notice that we didn't come. So they're just going to say everybody worshipped him and people are going to assume that we did too. That's Chilul Hashem. So we have to ask the Navi what to do. They go to the Prophet, they say, listen, Talk to Hashem. Tell Hashem that we did a kalva chomel. We did a, needless to say, we did a calculation in our head. If the frogs were willing to jump into the fire in order to honor Hashem for an extra 18 minutes, we're willing to jump in the fire for Hashem. So Navi, ask Hashem, will you save us? Like you saved the frogs. The prophet goes to Hashem, Hashem, Hanea Mishael and Azariah said, they're going to jump into the fire for you. Are you going to save them? Hashem says, tell them, no. I'm not going to save them. If they want to jump into the fire for me like the frogs, good. But I'm not going to save them. They do mitzvah, good for them. I'm not going to save them, why? They leave. They say, he's not going to save you. Okay, we're jumping into the fire. Prophet goes back to Hashem. Hashem, how come you're not going to save him? You saved the frogs. You saved Avraham Avinu. He says, no, no, I'm really going to save them. No, no, really, I'm going to save them. So how come you didn't tell them? He goes, because they want to do mitzvah completely. I want to give them the opportunity to do the mitzvah like the frogs. Completely. The frogs didn't know I was going to save them. If they know I'm going to save them, they're not really Moser Nefesh. They're not sacrificing anything. They know I'm going to save them. If you know Hashem's going to catch you, it's not a mitzvah. What are you doing? It's not, it's not even a risk. They jumped into the fire, Rabotai Karim, instead of worshipping a statue, and Hashem saved them. Everybody saw they're walking in the fire, hanging out in the fire. Made the whole thing into a joke. Nebuchadnezzar says, take him out, take him out. It's a busha for us. It's embarrassment for us. These people are dancing and enjoying the fire. But then, if you look at Tana Eliyahu, the book by Eliyahu Navi, he says, how come we never hear about Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah again? How come we never hear about them again after that story? They all died, they all, they all lived to the fire. Sanctified Hashem's name. You know the story already 3,000 years later, but there's never another story about them. Never. How come? Eliyahu Navi says a chidush. Eliyahu Navi says, after they jumped into the fire and didn't die, it was a big Kiddush Hashem. The problem is, it started becoming a Kiruv tool. Look, Am Yisrael Hashem saves them. People started doing tshuva. Satan got off this chair. Satan got off the chair. What happened? People put Aynara on them and they died. They didn't die from a fire. They died from Aynara. From evil eye. That's why you never heard about them again. So that's another way we learn about frogs and what Chanea Mishael Nazariah learned. Another thing is, David HaMelech thought to himself that he wrote Sefer Teilim, Baruch Hashem, sanctifying Hashem's name. One day a frog tells him, listen, you know I do better than you, right? 
David Melech knew the language of the frogs. We barely know the f- language of people. The frog says, I sanctify Hashem's name all day. All the time I sing, what do you think I sing? What do you think I sing uh, rap? What do you think I'm busting rhymes? What do you think I'm having a battle here? I'm saying, Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. I'm sanctifying Hashem's name. Just like there's a bereta that says, Rabbi Akiva Omer, Rabbi Akiva says there's a chayad, there's a special angel in the middle of the cosmos. Huge, giant angel. You think it's probably a planet. It's an angel. And its name is Israel. Like the nation. And on his forehead, there's the name Israel, his name. What's his job? His job is to stand in the middle of the cosmos and command all of creation. Baruch, U, Baruch Hashem Mevorach. And all of the other angels and creations and the frogs and the cats and the dogs and the lions and whoever is a holy Jew, what do they say? Baruch Hashem Mevorach Lolam Vaed. So now when a Jew says Baruch Hashem Mevorach Lolam Vaed, he's just fulfilling his purpose as part of creation. When he does it, he's lower than a frog. And that's why the Gemara in Masechet Psachim says, if a Jew does not keep mitzvot and does not learn Torah, if he's not Tamit Chacham, he should not be allowed to eat meat. Because the meat comes from a cow. And the cow is better than him. So Rabotai Karim is a lot to learn about frogs as you can see. It's a lot to learn. Also, you learn from uh, frogs, it's like Lashon Ara. The Rabbanit gave this chidush. Some of the Mekubalim say that frogs is a sign for Lashon Ara. Why Lashon Ara? says, you look, how? How does it connect? She did a chidush. She said, if you notice, the frogs are unlike all other creatures. If you look at the ducks that hang out in the same neighborhood, when a duck has little ducklings, the little ducklings follow the duck, the mommy duck, for, for a long time. It's cute. You follow little seven, eight, nine little ducklings, follow the big duck. But with the frogs, that has a thousand little frogs that follow him, Hashem you see these frogs, they go everywhere. There's no rhyme or reason, there's no neighborhoods, there's no clans, they don't stay by the mom, they don't stay by the dad, they don't pay mortgage, they don't do nothing, they go everywhere. That's Allah Shonara. Alashonara goes everywhere. You think, no, no, I only told her this one thing about him. It's just one thing, I just told her. Yes, by the time the week is over, you'll see that it went to her and all of her friends and all of her friends' friends and it went on the news and it went on TV and it went over here and it went on the internet and Hashem Echem, what happens? Hashem Echem, what happens? This is why I tell people that if you're smart, don't ever make a comment on the internet. Honestly, if you can't help yourself, don't even make a good one. It's better. You want to make a good comment? Oh yeah, I like the shiur, Baruch Hashem, that's fine. Other than that, don't make any comments. If you have a problem with a shiur, send the rabbi a personal message. Do not make a public comment. Why? Because anyone that actually is going to stop learning from that rabbi, because of your comment, there's no end to your suffering. There's no end to the punishment. So that's why people that 
make comments freely on the internet against me, against Rav Mizrahi, against anybody that actually actually does real kiruv, it's really, you have to feel bad for them. Aside from being annoyed, because it's annoying, like, you know, you work for free, you try to help Am Yisrael, you try to sanctify Hashem's name day and night, and you're talking bad about me? Like, what's the matter with you? You have nothing else to do in your life? Go talk bad about Obama. Go talk bad about the Hamas. Go talk about bad about somebody else. You have nothing else to do, just talk about bad about us, make a video about us. But honestly, at the end of the day, you have to feel bad for them. Why? This is a person that's in Gainom, and he doesn't realize it yet. He's inside the Tumah. He's inside deep, deep inside the Tumah. He doesn't realize why he became part of it. Like this one guy, Ari Roseman, who made a comment uh, just a few days ago about the interview that uh, Rav Mizrahi did with this uh, Froom girl, Froom something, Flatbush girl, or some, some woman that interviewed him. And apparently the whole interview was based on the fact that she gets a lot of criticism. She, she, wants, she wanted to interview Rav Mizrahi, who also gets a lot of criticism and, um, about Judaism and so on. All after she published it, apparently a lot of her fans are Reshaim. So all of the Reshaim came out and started making comments. Now you expect this from people that are Reshaim, people that are haters of Hashem, haters of Judaism, haters of mitzvot, and so on. You expect it. What don't you expect? You don't expect it from somebody who calls himself a religious Jew and claims to work for Chazak. Chazak is a well-known Jewish organization in New York and that organizes shiurim and also has a program to bring kids from public school to, uh, to uh, yeshivot. And apparently they do a lot of chesed, a lot of good things for Am Yisrael especially in the New York area, but in a few other places. Now, this guy, Ari Roseman, is a Rasha Merusha, but he claims to work for them. He claims to work for them. Now, a lot of people claim a lot of things. But you need evidence. Problem is, there's a lot of evidence that he does. Like his pictures on his profile have him with a t-shirt of Chazak, staff. He's in a lot of lectures next to the rabbis and so on and so forth. Now, why is this a problem? Because Chazak is supposed to be a kosher organization. Supposed to be a decent organization. I spoke for them a couple years ago in Tisha B'Av. Rav Mizrahi spoke to them many, many times in the past. Uh, I don't think there's anything in, in, in recent uh, months, but in the past he's done many, many shulim with them and helped the organization, especially in the beginning. For, for, for an employee of Chazak to go out there and publicly... Badmouth, one of the most important Kiruv rabbis of our generation, even if he wasn't, even if he was just a regular rabbi, that's a kosher person, to go out there and call him names and publicly, you know, do things like that. I mean, there's a problem. It's a serious problem. So we contacted, and, uh, you know, and the thing is, though, is that I sa- they said, no, no, he doesn't work here. I said, why? Well, it's unusual for a person to have a staff shirt if he doesn't work there. It's unusual for him to say he works there and he doesn't work there. It's like somebody says, I work for the White House, but he doesn't. It's unusual. Why would you say it? You have nothing else to do in your life? Why do you have pictures with the president? I mean, if you have pictures with the president every other day, you you probably work for him. If if your office address is 1600, uh, whatever, uh, what is it, Pennsylvania or something, the, the White House, that means you work there. If you have pictures and staff and t-shirt, it means you work there. So if 
he works there, he should be fired. If he doesn't work there, then any reasonable organization would come out with a public statement saying, this guy does not work here, and what he said does not represent Chazak, does not represent our organization, or even Judaism. And publicly endorse Rabbi Mizrahi and, 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 and the toilet that he spends. But if you can have problems publicizing this, that means there's something wrong here. That means there's something wrong here. That means the apple doesn't fall from the tree. You can't claim he doesn't work and not say anything about it. You understand? So that's the thing, Abu Tayyip Karim, is that when it comes to Lashon Ara, Lashon Ara, the Rambam says, Lashon Ara, if somebody says Lashon Ara once, he has a big judgment in Shemaim. But he can still have share of the world to come. But he says, this is not talking about somebody that says Lashon Ara on a regular basis, because of course he has no Olam Abba. He says, it's a fake if the guy that says it once, depends on the damage, if he has Olam Abba. But someone that does it regularly, or has an effect, that's going to happen, a long-lasting effect, if one single person doesn't learn from Rabbi Mizrahi or myself, or anybody that's a kosher rabbi, because of Lashon Ara of this Ari Roseman, or anybody else, because of that, you have no idea what kind of punishment a person like that is going to get. One person doesn't learn. One person doesn't support. One person doesn't do tshuva. One family is lost. Hashem Even if you hate me, even if you hate Rav Mizrahi, even if you hate... Ev- Be quiet. Keep it to yourself. There's plenty of Rishayim in the world that you could talk about. Go talk about uh, Kim Jong-un. Go talk about Iran. Go talk about Hillary Clinton. Go talk about Obama. Go talk about Osama. Go talk about, uh, I don't know, the, 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 the Christian missionaries. There's plenty of things to talk about if you have a filthy mouth and you want to you wanna, wanna do it. But to go talk against Kiruv rabbis, why? Why do it to yourself? Why do it to yourself? This, Rabotai, we also learned from the frogs. So I'm hoping that uh, Chazak does come out with a statement and say something supportive. Because uh, it, it will be sad if they don't, because it would mean that they're partners in the crime. And I don't think they should be, because they have a lot of good things going for them. They recently raised a million and a half dollars to, 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 to do this program, to take kids from uh, public school to yeshivot, and people, Baruch Hashem, donate to them, people, Baruch Hashem, like them, they have events, they have big rabbis supporting them, and so on. Okay, that's fine. It's all fine and good, as long as you're a kosher organization. But if you're not going to back up the Torah and you're not going to do anything to reprimand an employee or clearly show that he's not an employee by showing a cease and desist letter and make a public statement, then you're a partner in the crime. And for that, you know, that's unfortunate, And but you're a frog. You're part of being a frog. So that's another thing we learn from the frogs all the time. Beseda, we have another shoot tomorrow night, Beseda Shem. I hope you enjoy this one. We finish this Mishnah. Tomorrow night we'll have Hashem, another Mishnah. We'll have another Mishnah. But here we see that the people that are, have a uh, special connection to money, usually it's not good. Usually it's not good. But Bezat Hashem, we'll learn some more things about other things tomorrow night. Ba'uch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Go ahead. The Gemara says that he had a, uh, Hashem had to give it to somebody, and he had a one eye. He had one eye, so the prophecy that he got was in that 
eye that he didn't have, the hole that he had, because that was the only place in his body that was pure. So he didn't sin in that place of the body, and therefore, that's where the prophecy would come to. But in general, as far as when he first got the prophecy, he wasn't, uh, uh, he wasn't evil right away. He had the uh, ability to become huge, to be a tzaddik, but he chose not. So a prophet could turn evil afterwards? Yes. Okay, so my next question is, what if Mashiach comes, no, what if when Mashiach comes, people are still in the process of converting and didn't complete the process? I have a uh, short shiur, about 15-20 minutes about that specific question. I'll send it to you if you remind me. Uh, generally, if somebody's in the process of converting, uh, authentic converting, the Mashiach is going to know what's in your heart. In a sense that Hashem is going to give him uh, give him So he's going to know who's a real convert and who's not, and they're, they're going. those people, in essence, will be already considered as people that are Jewish. Yeah, They'll be able to complete their conversion. You can ask, yeah. Oh, so... Um, I want you to check out my notes. Okay, tell me. I don't think it could be my... Tell me. So where do we know that we see the actual... Is it like, say, an actual verse? So I'm not do that, or is it... Ken, I would say... Onan did it and said that he deserved death, or he Oh, died. that's what we've derived from? No, there's several. If you watch my shiur about wasting seed, it's three and a half hours of proofs with somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred sources from the Torah, from the Gemara, from the... Uh, um, Mishnayot, from the Sifre Tzadikim, from the Tanakh, from the Zohar, many, many places, uh, that scientific even, but many places in the Torah, proving that it's in the Torah that you're not allowed to waste seed. Also, if you look at Isure uh, Be'ah by the Rambam, chapter 22, it says specifically you're not allowed to waste seed. Talacha, and also the Shuchan Aruch. Shuchan Aruch. No, it's considered murder. It's worse than adultery. It's one of the reasons why homosexuality is wrong. Right? Huh? Yes, it's 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 but the, uh, so if a person does teshuvah for that sin, he's going to suffer a lot in this world? Could be. Sure. He do kiru. No, it doesn't help others. No, I mean, first of all, first, first, first of all, suffer. you can leave it on. You can leave it on. It's good questions. Uh, first of all, a person can do, you know, does teshuvah in a few ways. Number one, he stops sinning. Stops wasting seed. Uh, number two, he uh, uh, does others. the different things of tikkunim, of, of wasting as far as staka and so on. And last but not least, he also helps other people not waste seed by educating them, by uh, sending them the shiurim, giving them the CDs and so on, helping other people do tshuva for wasting seed. Those few things are going to help a person do complete tshuva for, for, uh, for wasting seed. Yeah, but if every man in this world decides to do tshuva for that, isn't everybody going to have to like, receive some sort of suffering here? Like, you receive suffering people, people suffer regardless. People suffer in their life regardless of tshuva. What's the purpose if, you're not, if a person is not doing teshuvah at all? Exactly, so he's suffering for no reason. So that's the point. If a person does teshuvah and he gets suffering, at least the suffering is worth something. If a person is not doing teshuvah and he's suffering, then it's just a waste of suffering.
He's not getting the full potential of that of that suffering. Yeah, does that relieve him in the next world of suffering? If he does tshuva, if he doesn't do tshuva, then the suffering here is not going to relieve him of of the next world. Yeah, but you're saying that every person suffers. Every person's alive. Everybody suffers. suffers. Everybody suffers. There's not a certain. There's not a person in the world doesn't suffer in his life. Everybody suffers. It's part of life. Suffering is part of life. People suffer waking up early. People suffer. Oh, uh, people suffer. Uh, you like the shoe? I like it. I'm still here. I barely slept last night. Good luck, Hassan. Happiness is a choice. Suffering is a choice. But it doesn't necessarily mean that a person doesn't suffer. You know, everybody suffers. People want to eat more than they eat, but they can't. So they suffer that they're not eating as much. People want to spend more than they have. So they suffer that they're not spending. Everybody suffers a certain level of suffering. Some people have disease. Some people have financial problems. Shalom bite problems. Kids problems. People suffer. Everybody suffers. There's also this thing that a person doesn't suffer. But suffering per se, as far as having pain, as far as suffering as being miserable, that's a choice. That's a choice. That's a choice that a person has. And if he chooses to, to, to that's all based on his spirituality. It's all based on his Torah. If he has a lot of Torah, then he'll be fine. Then he won't uh, be miserable about it. He'll take it, but he'll know that there's, the suffering has a value. But if... He doesn't have Torah, then he'll just be miserable and unhappy and uh, think that Hashem is, you know, hates him. And he won't see the real value of what he's doing. So, it's suffering for no purpose. It doesn't change anything. You're asking the same question in a different way. Suffering, it doesn't matter physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, financially, any suffering. All suffering. Suffering in general... Yeah. Everyone has it. Some people have it one way. Some people have it another way. Some people have it multiple ways. Everyone suffers. A person that has a lot of Torah uses that suffering to get closer to Hashem. A person that does not have Torah uses that suffering to get away from Hashem. He blames Hashem. Inspiration or desperation? Right. Like a It's all together. I'll give you a small story. I met this lady in the hospital. She's 90 years old. Holocaust survivor. Okay, 10 years old, she was begging people for money. She didn't know where her food was going to be. She went from there to be extremely rich, give a lot of money, okay? She's in the hospital bed, and I'll show you a picture of her. She's 90 years old, she looks like maybe she's 55, and she's not even sick now. She doesn't even know why she's there, because her mind is with Hashem. That's what it's about. He's building you for his sins to be stronger. It's not, it's not weakness. It's also this thing is bad. Everything Hashem is doing is good. Just our perception is that. Right. So you tell him, Hashem, I don't know what to say. Help me what to say. Just say that. A little bit. I just want big. Just like you're asking questions now, you ask Hashem questions. The point, the biggest way to talk to Hashem, aside from prayer, is to learn about Him. The more you learn about Him through Parashat Shavua, through the Gemara, through Musal, through different books that in the Torah, the more you learn about the Midot of Hashem, the more you're going to connect to Him. And that's also a way that you show him that you love him. The more you love a woman, the more you want to know about her. The more you love a man, the more you want to learn about him. The more you know, the more you love your job, the more you want to learn about the job. So to learn more about Hashem will show that you love him, and actually will cause you to love him. But as long as you don't know enough about him, then there's that disconnect. 
So that's part of the part of the ways to fulfill the mitzvah. Ve'afta Hashem lokecha is to learn about him. Yeah, but isn't that what you said before? Isn't that what the Buddhists believe that everybody suffers? Or some somebody in China a long time ago said that that there's no way to receive pleasure in this world or something. Suffering and pleasure are two completely different worlds. Pleasure exists and suffering exists. One does not cancel out the other. Somebody can suffer and have pleasure all at the same time even. Could be. Could be that he is of himself because he's disgusting of what he's doing, but he still has a physical pleasure. Point being is that it's a it's 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 it's, it's these these things happen. It's a one thing doesn't cancel out the other. Yeah, but if a person is a sadiq though and he doesn't do anything of that nature, shouldn't he not suffer? Why? Because the guy that's with a prostitute, he has a reason to be disgusted. He's like a sadiq. He's doing the will of Hashem, so shouldn't he not feel disgusted? Or shouldn't he not? No, he's not. Uh, he's not going to have that same sufferings and have different suffering. The suffering has a value in shemaim. There's a value. There's a value of suffering in shemaim. There's a certain value. Of val- it's very valuable. The uh, the um, Chachamim say that if a person really knew the value of the suffering, he would pray for suffering. That's how valuable that's it is. That's why. That's why in your story you didn't want the money. He's like, why? Why I should give you the money? You didn't pay me. I want for the next world. He doesn't care because he knows the value. Real tzaddik knows the value. Suffering isn't really suffering. They'll dance in the suffering. He made it. He made you. We have a little misunderstanding. Yeah, but I have a kind of. I, I loved a lot of it. A lot of it got to me. I had a couple of tears, honestly, a couple of times. I'm not going to lie. Okay, so which one did you like? I'm having just a little problem with the ending there about... Uh, That's kind of my... And what? You, you, you mentioned names, you mentioned this guy's situation. Everyone has haters. Everyone's going to try and bring someone down. Rasha, it's a mitzvah from the Torah to publicize them. But... Publicize them. It's not that it's not. It's, it's not. It's not. Not publicizing them. Not publicizing them is an avera. Why? Because if someone's a rasha, he's a machtia rabim. By not telling people, that means you're not warning them. So they could suffer his consequences for him. So now, for example, if you have a bank, let's say you have a bank. No, give me a bank. And somebody you know works for the bank. He's a thief. If you don't tell. If you don't other tell the bank teller, fall and other so the bank, so, no, you're you're now a partner of the crime. Why? You knew he's a thief. You didn't tell us. He robbed the whole bank. We lost the whole bank now because of you. Are you so hundred percent sure? Well, I saw it in my own eyes. I don't say anything unless I'm hundred percent sure. Oh no, I said. I can't put myself in a situation to call somebody out like that. I'm not even that perfect so, to, if, to say if, they're they're not perfect. Not about being being perfect. It has nothing to do with being perfect. <laughs> No, no, no. It's not. It has not. No, that's that's the point. The the when a person is rebuking somebody, it's not about whether I'm perfect or not perfect. There's right. There's wrong. There's right. There's wrong. If somebody is a missionary, he's a missionary. It doesn't make a difference that he's generous. It doesn't make a difference if you're the most religious guy in the world. He's a missionary. That means he's considered toivat Hashem. He's considered disgusting to Hashem. If somebody goes out and makes public comments, public comments about against the Torah, against the Torah, and you keep it to yourself, and now everybody thinks, oh, this guy's a tzaddik. 
They don't know that he's actually secretly saying things against the Torah. You become a partner in the crime. No, it's not about, because, because, to, to be your job. Because there's a mitzvah in the Torah, 613 mitzvot in the Torah. One of the mitzvot in the Torah is Ocheach Tochiach et Amitecha Veloti Sa'alavchet. There's a mitzvah in the Torah that you're obligated to rebuke, you're obligated to publicize this, or else you become part of the sin. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 52, says Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah was one of the Tanaim, was able to revive the dead. Somebody died, he can say, no, live. He goes back to life. That's that extent. They said in Shemaim, they danu oto lemita, chilu Shabbat. So what chilu Shabbat? It was Tana Kadosh. He says, yeah, but he saw his neighbor had a cow that still carried bells on Shabbat, and it's not allowed, and he didn't tell her anything. Because he didn't tell her anything, they counted as if he was the one that was the owner of the cow, and he violated Shabbat. So after he found out this, he did shuvah for the rest of his life. He had fasts until all of his mouth turned to black. Now you fast forward two more pages, Gemara Masechet Shabbat. It says that the uh, Hashem only changed his decree in Shemaim once in history. Usually he makes a decision that says he doesn't change his mind. He's not a human being like us. It says only one time he changed his decree. In the Beit HaMikdash, he said to the Midata, to the Malachim, go put a mark, a taf, a taf, on all the tzaddikim, all the rabbis, all the tzaddikim, he called them, put a tough. Why? Because I'm going to destroy the Beit Mikdash, but then I'm not going to destroy. Midat Adin, the Yetzirah, shows up, comes to him, he says, well, Hashem, wait a minute, you call all these rabbis tzaddikim, but they're not tzaddikim. They're not tzaddikim, Hashem. Why are they not tzaddikim, Yetzirah? He says, because they knew the truth, but they didn't tell people. And according to your Torah, they are part of the crime. 